Surprised either of us have a voice left. Listen to me. How like many times smoking. did I do C? Oh, a million. I mean, yeah. C. God, I was. Hawks. <laughs> C. Hawks. People at the Hyatt Regency at Daniels were wondering, what, what did we get ourselves into? I here? purposely went over to watch people who were kind of milling around the <laughs> lobby and they all just like suddenly look up at what's going on up there. It was so great. I was actually kind of worried when I first walked in. I don't mind saying it. I was a little worried. I felt, I felt a subdued crowd. Mm-hmm. It was different than. Even at the beginning of the Niners game, people were a little bit more charged up. I almost got the feeling that everybody at Daniel's felt like, okay, I'm at Daniel's fancy restaurant. I got to be careful. I don't want to be loud. Even though everybody was in their Seahawks garb except for you. That's right. You were the o- literally the only person, <laughs> and you did not want to take that thing out. You did not want to take Leonard Weaver no, out. I definitely wouldn't have. <laughs> if people wouldn't have thrown food at me about it, I definitely would not have. There were like 80 people. I think we went a little bit over the 70, but there were yep. like 80 people there. And 79 of them, yeah. including the bartenders, had Seahawks stuff on. <laughs> One person That's did right. not have something Seahawks. Though you did have it in your bag, and you're like, God, are they gonna? Are people going to guilt me into putting this uh. on? And you took out the Leonard Weaver old school blue jersey. Yes, I did. And put it on because you were embarrassed. From the Mike Holmgren era, those, those blue colors. <laughs> How'd the team do once I put it on, though? Oh, oh yeah. You may have you yeah. may have set them free. Might be onto something. What was there. the score when you put that thing on? Was it was it seventeen ten? You put it on at halftime. I put it on at halftime, seventeen ten. Yeah, and they went on a run. Can they not just dominate a game <laughs> no, from beginning? Now, yeah. I know the Vikings are good, and I know it's exciting to watch, and everybody had a good time at Daniels, and I'm sure that everybody listening to this, whether you were at the game, I'm sure everybody at the game had a hell of a time. Yeah, you could have been in your family room by your fire, but whatever you were doing, everybody had a great time. Is it? Is it? Can they just blow somebody out? Can they blow somebody out? And they got they got to a point even after they kicked the first half at seventeen ten because of the the failed spike, the failed volleyball spike. I'm not going to have. I don't think I'm going to be asking Russell Wilson to play the front. What do you play the? What do you call the front line of a volleyball team next to the net? I think you just said it. Front line. Are they, are they the spikers? Are they the? What are they? I think it's the front line. I don't know. <sighs> yeah. Did you hear Pete Carroll after the game saying, "Well"? He was getting ready to go up, and he got kind of hit on the way up, and he wasn't able to get above the ball and spike the ball down. Yeah, first he said he got a little hang time, but then he said he got hit. I'm like, which is it? But I was shocked that he said they practiced that again. They practiced that. They really practice him smacking the ball oh, I down. I think they do. I think I've seen drills being out there. I think I've seen drills where they they not just not just him, but maybe some of the offensive linemen too. So they kicked the first half. They're up seventeen. They're down seventeen to ten at the end of the first half. You felt like. Kind of statistically, I don't have the first half stats in front of me, but you felt like at halftime they were statistically the dominant team and they're behind 17-10 and everybody at Daniels, everybody at the game, everybody's looking at you you're like, here we go again. You got to kind of have the, the kind of ho-hum first half yep. and then you're going to turn it on in the second half. And what do they do? They turn it on like nobody's business in the third quarter. And it starts with the Vikings getting the ball at the beginning of the second half and you go three and out and you knew it was going to be good because you remember, do you remember what happened on the third down play of the first series that the Vikings had after after halftime I don't they they hit the quarterback they had originally ruled it a fumble and then his arm was going oh, they, yeah. made, they made they challenged it and the the Vikings like success there, there was a that was their success <laughs> of that first drive no I'm serious yeah, yeah. that was their success of the first drive and it kind of felt like oh if their little success is he didn't fumble it, yeah. it, his arm was going forward, the Seahawks' defense, and in the first half, now I know that people will look at the stats 
and you'll probably they'll probably be a little deceptive because the Vikings got lots of yards late when they were desperate and down 34-17. But the Seahawks' defense was not only in control of the game in the first half. I said this to you multiple times while we were sitting together. It really felt like the Vikings were scared. The Vikings offensively and their play calling were scared in the first half of the Seahawks. They didn't think that they could throw the ball down the field because yeah. they didn't think they could protect the quarterback, which is hysterical because the Seahawks can't get a sack. <laughs> For like eight games, they couldn't get a sack. Right. But he was throwing so many yeah. little screens and dumps and fast. And every time, the, the two or three times that he did go back to pass in the first half and try to get something down the field, bam, they hit him. Now, they came up with no sacks officially in the game. Yeah. But it, I was I, surprised by that when I saw that. Did it not feel like – were you ple- – I mean, I'm obsessed with the pass rush. Were you pleased with the pass rush on Monday night? I'd say I was pleased, yes. I'd give it a B-. minus. Really? Yeah, I mean, no sacks. What I mean- mo- but what more could they have done? They didn't get to the quarterback – Half of the reason they didn't get to the quarterback is because three-quarters of their passing plays, they threw it so quick they weren't going to let the Seahawks get there. And then on countless other opportunities, like the one where the arm was going forward, Reed, they, hit him. Him. Yeah. they hit him. They hit him, and they forced him right. into bad throws. I thought, and I'm obsessed with the pass rush, I thought that that was, I'm going to say it, the greatest no-sack pass rushing performance <laughs> in NFL history. You might be right. I yeah, mean, they got, they got, they did get consistent yeah. pressure on the quarterback, even though they didn't register a sack. So. And if you ask Minnesota fans during that game, they were getting sick and tired of them not throwing the ball down the field. So Minnesota fans saw it too. Like, what are we doing? Well, how do you here? know that? Were you on like some yeah. sort of a bulletin board or something? Yeah, I was see? on. Yeah. I was on their message board, and oh, okay. they were like ripping yeah. Zimmer, throw the ball down. Yeah, the they're field, saying, right? "What are we doing? Why do we keep throwing these?" Little and short you know, passes? and you know what they're saying today, tomorrow, and the next day, they're saying, "See, when they opened it up, which is kind of faulty thinking, I think we all know." When you're down 34-17 and you start throwing the ball down the field and things are working, that's just as much of the defense kind of letting off the pedal. Keeping guys play, in front of you. Playing yeah. prevent. Keeping, I mean, there's a mentality there where you're going to get some stuff, but I'm sure Vikings fans are saying, why didn't they throw it down the field in the first half? Look what they did in the second half. They got guys wide open going in for touchdowns. But it doesn't work that way. Right. And, and that just kind of – and I know that the, the game is just – we're recording this late on Monday night, and I know that the game is just ending, and I've got the stats in front of me. But I'll just go back to the original point that you and I have been talking about for weeks, and I'll go back to, let's say, three or four weeks ago. When Russell Wilson was the leader for the MVP award, and I and I sincerely don't think he's the leader for the MVP award anymore. I think Lamar Jackson has passed yeah. him by. That doesn't mean that that Russell can't leapfrog him again if he has four great weeks or whatever. When we were talking about this offense just humming under Russell Wilson, what did we say? And I'm sure we weren't the only people. I'm sure radio stations and people were writing it and whatever. But I know that we were saying it. I know that I said it like 10 times. And that is, we don't need the Seahawks' defense to be great. Right. We need them to be – if they could just be average or slightly above average to go along with the way the offense and the offensive line and the running backs and the receivers. At that point, Tyler Lockett was red hot until he had the, the bruise and now he's been sick all week. But the way that offense was going, I wasn't asking in week four, five, six, and seven for the Seahawks to be the best defense in the league. They were just so bad, especially in pass defense, that – you couldn't see them. You couldn't see them going deep into the playoffs. But you were kept on saying to yourself and, and believing in your heart, if they could just turn the corner defensively and be just average or a little bit. Well, they. I'm telling you right now, that's three games in a row. I don't care what the stats say. They played, and I know they gave up 30, even though seven were on the the batted uh, the, the the pick six. 
They played they played better than average defensive football on Monday night against the Vikings. I would agree. They with you. played better than average football against the Philadelphia Eagles eight or nine days ago. They played better than average football defensively against the 49ers. In, ca- in fact, they were great against the 49ers. So that's three weeks in a row. And, and we go back to the, the morning after the Niners game. The world wondered, okay, is that the real Seahawks defense, the one we saw against the Niners, or is it the first eight or nine games where they were just terrible and didn't have a clue against, against any, kind of, any kind of efficient pa- uh, passing games? Well, now we've seen at least average or better than average three straight weeks against a 49ers team that was efficient offensively, against Carson Wentz, okay, and now against a Vikings offense that's got Dalvin Cook, I know Thielen didn't play, but they've got Diggs and they've got Cousins, who's having an all-world year, and they've got a good offensive line, and they can run that. They got Mason Rudolph, who's the not Mason Rudolph, um, they what, got, what, the big the big the tight, big tight end, end who had the one-hander, yeah. Well, yeah uh, and and that's three games in a row now where they have been clearly better than average defensively, and that leaves me very excited because I think if that's the defense, which I think it is, I give them a great chance to go all the way. Uh, go all. I think I give them a great chance to go all the way to the Super Bowl and represent the wow. NFC in the Super Bowl. After they beat the 49ers, I said, eh, let, let me see it again. And then they beat the Eagles. And I remember saying to you, okay, if they beat the Vikings, I'm officially on board with this defense. So now I have to be officially on board with this defense because they beat the Vikings. And, you know, really the Vikings scored 21 points on it was that blown coverage, yeah. the stupid pick six, right, and then DK Metcalf fumbling. They turned that into seven points. Well, they the still Vikings. have to move the ball. A little bit, but yeah. that, I they mean. They still have to move the ball. I mean, in fact, the DK Metcalf fumble, I think, was in their own end. It was back at their own 30. So turned they, they into seven it. points, though. That, that might have, was it, Was that the, I don't know if that, was that, did that precede the, the busted coverage for a touchdown? Yeah, that was, I don't know. That was after that. That was after the busted. Anyway. So my point is the defense did play well. The defense has played, I mean, we can, we can tilt our head a little bit and try to figure it out, but the defense has played well, at the very least well, and maybe on the much better end of well, three games in a row. Yep. And that along with this offense, I know we haven't started episode 68. We'll start. Oh, yeah, that's right. We haven't really started yet. Uh, that along with the way the offense is humming along and the way number three is playing and the way they're blocking and the way they're running and for the most part the way they're catching balls the wide re- I'm telling you I, I my mind has changed four weeks ago before that Niners game I thought this was a cool fun story that was going to end up maybe in a wild card and a first round exit in the in, in the NFL playoffs in the NFC playoffs yeah I I no longer think that I think this team now is the number two seed as of today Mr. Postseason will join us and of course we'll do an episode uh, 68P with a full-fledged Mr. P on uh, Thursday or Friday. Uh, I, I I now look at this team completely different. I think they are I think they are rolling towards buys and home fields, maybe home fields all the way through. So we've got a lot to discuss on episode 68. I've only followed one, one Super Bowl winning team, and it was a 2013 team, and that team just felt like overpowering and like big bullies. But maybe it's possible to actually get to a Super Bowl and even win one by just winning every game barely. Is I mean maybe maybe it is right because this team is barely winning games. I don't think it matters. I, so I, I that, think it's that's the caliber of your play. Because they're not destroying people doesn't But you followed the, the next year, and you followed the Mike Holmgren. You're just talking about winning the Super winning Bowl. Winning the Super Bowl, yeah. yeah. I'm not saying they'll win the Super Bowl. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you my outlook for the Seahawks right now is completely different yeah. than it was four weeks ago. This is episode 68. I know we're a day late and a dollar short, as my dad would say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love that expression. My dad loved it, too. Yeah. A day late and, and a, a dollar, dollar short. short. Yeah. I figured, look— 
We could have done 68 and released it on a Monday like we normally would. But I figured let's let the Vikings Seahawks game play. Mm -hmm. Let's let Chris Peterson resign. Oh, yeah, he called you and told you about it. That's right. I remember you told me. They called me on Sunday, said you don't want to release the show on Monday because it's going to be outdated. Makes sense. Let's let him resign Mm -hmm. so that we have some real juicy stuff and we'll we'll release it on a Tuesday morning. It's the right move. I'm ready. Episode 68. We've got tons to talk about. You can find us wherever podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com. Real quickly, do you have a do you have a vote? Steve Dion was with us at yes. Daniels on Monday night, and he voiced immediately when I saw him that he'd like to do 68p on Friday this week instead of Thursday, since we're a day late and a dollar short on on 68. Do you think we we release on Thursday or do we release on Friday 68p when Mister Postseason does his full? full meal deal thing with everything and we got the tail of the tape for the Rams game and we got two or three you know that big show that we'll do later in the week you want it on Thursday or do you want it on Friday for patrons well everyone knows that Steve Dion's in charge of this podcast so whatever he says (laughs) typically goes uh, because he could say I'm not going to edit it that's and then right. there'll be no podcast. That's right. He's <laughs> definitely <laughs> he's in charge and I we know I ain't editing Friday I think I think I think maybe we release Friday and then I got to see you again in two days to record another one well, you would normally see me in two days on yeah. a Wednesday, but he's saying no, no, Friday. But then I'll see you. Oh, and, oh, yeah. It just it just gets worse. <laughs> Maybe we just close up shop. That's right. <laughs> All right. 68P will probably be released on Friday on Friday morning with Mr. P and tail of the tape for the Rams game and Brady Henderson and Peter King. And we'll, t- we'll get a scouting report on Jacob Eason if he decides to go pro. Uh, you got to be a patron to get the patron shows. To become a patron, go to MitchUnfiltered.com. Click on Become a Patron. It costs $5 a month for you to get that extra show each week and some bonus fantasy shows and NFL pick shows and all that stuff. All right? Guests on 68, though. Before we get to 68P, guests on this 68, we've got Rick Neuheisel mm. on Chris Peterson walking away after six seasons. Uh, with the Washington Huskies, the Iron Bowl, the oh, college football playoffs. What a fun weekend, right? For, I mean, just Jacob amazing. Eason, the whole thing. But the best part, of, I, I don't want to give too much of it away. The okay. best part is he describes a touchdown pass that he once threw, Rick Neuheisel once threw, to Vern Lundquist. Come on. <laughs> Vern Lundquist? Yes. If you would have said pick a thousand names, Vern Lundquist doesn't make that list. He runs through a touchdown pass, to, and he takes us through the setup of the All play, right. how it happened. Rick Neuheisel once threw a touchdown pass to Vernon. So Rick Neuheisel on Chris Peterson's resignation. Darren Urban in Phoenix. Have you followed the story? The Cardinals player that got busted for betting on NFL games. You're not following that story? I didn't Josh hear, Shaw? I don't know how I missed okay, it. Okay, so Josh Shaw on the injured list for the Cardinals, the, yeah. the Arizona Cardinals, decides, well, I'm on the injured list. I'm going to go with a bunch of buddies to Vegas on, in November during the football season this season. He and a bunch of buddies go into Vegas, and they're trying to decide. He walks up to the front desk, and he bets a parlay, yeah, a three-team parlay, and one of the bets on the parlay is the second-half bet. He takes the Buccaneers over the Cardinals. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> Has he never heard of Pete Rose? I mean, does that name not ring a bell, apparently? A little too young? <laughs> he, takes the, he takes the Buccaneers no. over his teammates my in Vegas. While the, literally, it's halftime of the game. Oh, my God. They're playing in Tampa. Yeah. His teammates are playing, are, are in the halftime locker room getting their halftime adjustments. Yeah. He's in Vegas betting on the Bucs. <laughs> I've seen these bums go with the Bucs. <laughs> That's amazing. Jesus. So, uh, Darren Urban from Arizona will join us on episode 68. And the long-awaited return of your man, 
my man. He's out there right now. Oh, great. Movie mogul Max is making his return to episode 68 with reviews of the following. A Ford versus Ferrari. Ooh, I want to see that badly. It's called Nine Knives Out? Eight Knives Out? Yeah, something, something like, like yeah. Something Knives Out. Gotcha. And one other that I don't remember. <laughs> okay, and I a- spend the entire, you'll hear me spend the entire time trying to loosen him up to talk about other things, and he gets real mad at me every time I do that. Really? Yeah, he gets really, like, and, and, his, and his face, his facial expression from where you're sitting, yeah. it's like, he gives me the cut sign, like, I, I don't... Every time I try to joke around about something else, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he gets very, very upset because he is he is a serious <laughs> film reviewer. That's right. And you're having me on to review films. Don't talk about my personal life. Don't talk about my high school, my dating, or my friends. Yeah. Don't talk about stupid stuff. I'm here to review films. And if I don't ask him about films or like NBA salary cap news, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's totally out. He, he, he jolts me right back. Ooh. To the films. All right, so I won't talk about what I saw when I pulled up tonight. Then that's off the table. Oh, that boy. that's out. Oh, that's boy. completely out and off oh, the table. Boy. I'm not talking uh, about that. I am. I, I don't, <laughs> as Brian Wheeler used to say, "Don't get me involved in this. Don't get yeah. don't get me." Next involved thing I know, he's this. gonna have a handwritten note on the garage. Don't talk about my life, just like he did with the parking. So we'll start the show. <laughs> Rick Neuheisel, Darren Urban, and movie mogul Max is back, and I try to get him off the, the off the tracks, and he pulls me. Ru- You'll hear you, you can actually hear the I jostling yeah. in the in the conversation of him just having none of my my humor. <laughs> he doesn't want to have any part of my shenanigans. He's savvy. Right? He's savvy. Before we officially begin episode 68, a couple of words about my partner, Zeke's Pizza, now with 17 locations, the latest in Woodenville on 135th Avenue Northeast. How about the Rams and the Seahawks on Sunday night football with either Zeke's at your place or at one of their 17 locations? Football, pizza, craft, beer. Great combination. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, where we were on Monday night for the Vikings and the Seahawks game. Why? Because special occasions work well with Daniel's Broiler. The new location, by the way, in the downtown Seattle Hyatt Regency, right near the Paramount Theater, also great for dinner just before the show, Daniel's Broiler World-Class Steakhouses. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, more and more listeners taking the time to call Jordan Flowers and the Guild Mortgage Kirkland team to find out about a refinance. All it takes is a 7-10 to minute chat at 425 and find out how much money you can save on a month-to-month basis with a refinance through the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Again, the phone number, 425-250-3150. And Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and the originator of Evervestment.com, which is a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of Evergreen's clients have, but still want to grow our money for retirement or something else check them out evervestment e-v-e-r-v-e-s-t-m-e-n-t evervestment.com episode 68 starts right now unfiltered my question back to to all the people that would say well is it time to put chris carson on the sidelines with all the fumbles i'll ask a similar question about dk metcalf okay maybe his hands aren't great right now maybe they'll never be great but is the total picture worthy of him being in the lineup? Even with the bad hands, if, if he does have bad hands, and I don't think he does have bad hands, isn't he net, net, net 
a positive. Who, who else would you rather on the field at that particular point? I mean, he's he's still coming up with plays. He's still doing things to help the team, even within within the drop. So, yeah, I get the fact that people are questioning his hands, but you can't question whether he's been a net-net positive impact on this offense. Unfiltered. I truly will be ready to announce, to, to sign off on the, the metamorphosis. If we're talking about a, a performance like they had in Philadelphia and San Francisco on Monday night when we're at Daniels against a Vikings team with two great receivers, a great tight end, a quarterback who's having almost as good a year, MVP year, as Russell Wilson. One of the best running backs in the game. I mean, this is a high-powered, multi-dimensional offense. If the Seahawks defense plays like they did against the Eagles and the 49ers and they put pressure and they're knocking Cousins down and doing all that, I'm in. I'm, I'm totally sold. At that point, I'm in. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode number 68, how was your Thanksgiving? We discussed Thanksgiving meals. Oh, feels like a long time ago. Oh. Doesn't it seem like a long time ago? What would you do for Thanksgiving? We went to our friend's house in Buckley, which we go to every year. It's my Buckley, f- Washington. Yes, it's like by Enum. It's actually Bonnie Lake, I think. I, I don't know. Hey, we I, have- I don't know any. I, I am. I am. For a guy who's lived here for 25 yeah, you years. you don't get out much. Like Factoria is about as far <laughs> as I know. <laughs> so one of my best friends from high school, his wife's family invites us. So we don't have any family here, so we go right. to their house for 4th right. of July. Right. It was great. Tons of food, lots yeah. of food. Yeah. They, they do the coolest thing ever. They, they go to Costco. And you know like the styrofoam teriyaki containers? Yeah. You know, they, yeah. They, of course they, do I know them. Yeah. yeah. So they buy like a huge sleeve of those, and they send you home with like three or four containers packed okay with leftovers. well that's a good that's, that's, that's so great that's a good transition there. that's a good segue ask me if 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 the hosts of the party that we went to the thanksgiving party had offered me a care package to take home what i might have done with it i'm curious if they would have offered well, so they clearly didn't offer you any food but had oh, they, i'm sure they did i'm sure they did my these are yeah i don't want to get too, too they're very nice people these well, are very very nice i'm people. sure they you and i discussed my peculiar taste when it comes to Thanksgiving. Well, not just Thanksgiving, but most No, mostly most Thanksgiving. <laughs> most <laughs> no, foods. no, yeah, not yeah, mostly, yeah. not most. So foods. you didn't bring any leftovers home and I brought my own left. I brought my my uh, my mac and cheese casserole. A good portion of that. Oh, you bag. made something and then brought yeah. it home. Well, with I you. figure you can make something because you're being nice. Or you can make something as kind of a safety net, something that you know you like in case you don't like anything else that's there. <laughs> Who else thinks like that? I mean, God, Me. You're the only one. In case there's nothing else oh, you like you, at Thanksgiving. You know, you, you know, you come walking in and people are like, oh my God, that's so nice of you. She made, my wife made a bunch of stuff. You made, why, that's so nice of you. And people think that it's, they don't realize that <laughs> I, I had, I had no intention of helping them out. Right. It's. For my safety, in case there's nothing else that I like, I know I have at least the thing that I made. Well, we actually are kind of that way because my wife doesn't eat meat. So and you, the gravy's made with turkey. The stuffing's made with turkey. There's turkey. So we, I made a Big Mac and cheese so my wife would have something to eat. So we are kind of that way, too, okay. in a sense. Okay. Do you like a smoked turkey? I don't know if I've ever had a smoke. I, I, yeah. One thing. It's a problem. One thing. I, <laughs> first of all, Thanksgiving food's not broken, right? Like, turkey's fine on its own. People have tried I'm to get cute smoked, on dishes. I'm not a smoked meats fan because smoked turkey to me, it's pink, pinkish. Oh, it just It yeah. just feels like ham. Right. I think smoked. Tur- I think of smoked turkey as ham. I'm not, and I don't really eat ham. I mean, I eat bacon. I don't eat really. Eat- yeah, I'm not a huge. We had a smoked turkey where we went. It was smoked. I have had it. At we the- had sweet potatoes. Oh, when you go to the fair, they they sell big turkey legs and they're smoked and they're like pink. I've noticed. Oh, I know exactly. I will never what you're talking eat about. one of those turkey legs. <laughs> 
The guy was cooking. It's got sweat that drips on it and the whole thing. If you were rushing me to the hospital <laughs> yeah. uh, after a hunger strike. For malnutrition. For malnutrition. <laughs> yeah. And the choice was to go out, if yeah. you know what I'm saying, or one of those turkey legs from a fair. Yeah. It's been nice knowing you. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. Oh. No. So maybe I do like smoked turkey because I always get that at the fair. That's not smoked. I think it is. It's on a grill. I don't think it's smoked. All right. So this guy like put the turkey at in the a Puyallup s- Fair. We're talking about the Puyallup Fair. Yeah, it's a huge the Washington stand. State Fair. Washington State, yeah. yeah, it's a huge, giant stand. They got the grill. Anyway, I noticed it being kind of pink, and I was wondering why. Yeah. So sometimes people try to get cute with the Thanksgiving food, yeah. but I think yeah. we kind of like it the way it was it's enough. Been. It was a, it was a fun time. The, uh, <laughs> it was a fun time. I really liked the company, but I just but, you know. So just, what did you eat then? If you don't eat the turkey, I ate the, I ate the tur- I ate everything. Sweet potatoes. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take some and do the move where you? I ate the smoked turkey, uh, the 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 stuffing that I love had mushrooms in it, so oh. that was out. So I put a little on my plate and pretended and yeah. scooted it around a little bit to make it sound like I was eating because I saw I saw the stuffing maker giving me the eagle eye as I as I approached the stuffing. Is like, that right? Dun, 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 dun. Is he going to take some or not? Do you guys sit around like a the big guy table? with the podcast, the guy that's been in the news, the guy that's been in trouble the last two years? Is he going to take my stuffing or is yeah. he really a bad guy? Right. I, 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 I've known he's a bad guy for two years. This is really going to salt it away. Is he going to take some of my stuffing with the mushrooms or not? So I look around and I see the eyes on me. So yeah. I, I take a little of it, but then I just, they don't ever watch to see if it actually goes in your mouth. They just want to see whether it goes on your plate. Right. Then you can just fool around, mix it with everything else that you don't eat on the plate, and that's the end. Right, because they assume most adults, if they take some of it, they're going to eat well, of it. Well, I'm not an adult. <laughs> exactly. That's kind <laughs> I've never of, been accused of kind of my point. So are you unable to eat around the mushrooms, or is, does the mushroom flavor get in there yeah, and you just I, pass? I, I, just, I just have a, vi- a violent yeah, reaction know, to mushrooms. So if, if stuff, and that's really the only thing. Like I just told you, the smoked turkey, I ate it. So I didn't you, love sweet it. Sweet potatoes you didn't eat. So it's not the only thing. Yeah, but I would eat sweet potatoes. Like oh, if you okay. said, here, here's, eat some sweet potatoes. It's not on the same me- level of the mushroom. No, if I okay. see so I don't really want to eat anything that's touching mushrooms. I just don't. Unless my kid gets the right SAT score and then I have to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So episode six, so you had a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, it was no. great. They're very nice people. And it was weird. At the, at the Daniels party, there was a couple of people there and they said, hey, do you know this guy Kelly who's, yeah. who was at the, my Thanksgiving dinner? He's right. brother. Anyway, so yeah, it was kind of a small world. So yeah. Well, I hope everybody that's in the audience for episode 68 had a great Thanksgiving. I wish everybody a happy holidays. Uh, to Just to, to keep this on the track like movie mogul Max would want us to, <laughs> yeah. let's just talk a little bit more about the Seahawks here. Let's rather than make the awkward segue to Chris Peterson, you know, Neuheisel's going to begin. Our chat with Neuheisel will begin in our next segment with Chris Peterson's news. You and I will come back in the other stuff segment and we'll begin the segment with our views if you have any opinions as a Husky fan about the resignation of Chris Peterson. I'll give you my thoughts of not being surprised. I'm surprised not, not that being you're surprised. not surprised. I feel I, like I was this not hit everybody by surprise. I, I, surprise is not the right. I was not expecting it. I don't want to say that I was expecting him to retire or res- resign, but when I heard it, it made a complete sense to me based mm. on my the way I have felt about him for many years. But we'll get to that at the, okay. at the, in, the in the last segment after our three interviews with movie mogul Max and Darren Urban on the guy who bet for the Cardinals and and, and Rick Neuheisel on, on not only Chris Peterson, but Rick Neuheisel to Vern Lundquist for a touchdown. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I can't wait to hear. 37 to 30. <laughs> Woohoo! You're the number two seed, Mr. Postseason. Crazy. 
You want me to lay a little, a, a little Mr. Postseason on you? You want me to wait, take everything to episode 68P on now Friday? What do you, what do you, what would you rather? Well, I was listening to a little post game on the way home with yeah. Dory Monson, our pal. Yeah. They all think that they've got it. Don't that's they? that's the and thing. And I hate having to correct them. I really don't. <laughs> I knew I could. like like I just lit the fuse. It's so easy. I oh, knew I could do it. And Dory's given me well. They're the number one. See you in the know, whole do, thing. Do you know the? Do you know Greg Bell at all? Like I love Greg Bell. I know who he is. Yes. It, he's like the last guy that would ever want to correct. But even him, and he covers the Seahawks better. He's the number one Seahawks coverer. He does it for the Tacoma News. He does a hell of a job. He used to be on the morning show with me. Now he's still on the morning yeah. show over there. I actually and, think Brady's the number one, but great. Oh, Brady Henderson's good. And they all <laughs> throw it a little bit in. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You realize that the Seahawks are this and that. And I, and I have to write incorrect. You can't resist. I can't. Can. <laughs> you cannot. Well, resist. I should say me, Mr. Postseason. Mr. Postseason, yes. I, I, all right, I'll let. I'll, Give I'll, me a little something. Just you so want I a can little have, snooby stat. Snooby stat. I, I feel like I need my palate cleansed after the info okay. I was getting on well, the Well, you way know home. they're number two right now. Yes, they, they are. They have jumped from five to two. In one and game. the only reason that they're number two is because of the New Orleans Saints with the same record having beaten them when Teddy Bridgewater came in here. We were falling all over the place. Yep. Chris Carson was following. They were fumbling. They giving them the, They gave the game away for Pete God's Carroll sakes. took a ball to the face for uh, some reason. Yeah, the schnoz, <laughs> yeah. right, to the daily schnoz. So because of that loss, that's the only reason that they're not a number one seed. So everybody's going to be asking all week. I, I just want to prepare you for okay. it. This is my Scooby snack, but... Come with us at 68p on Friday, and I'll do like a 15-minute. Oh, he will. Every single option that needs to happen between now and the. Everybody's going to be asking, so why don't you ask it? Who should we root for at 10 a.m. on Sunday? Because the Seahawks play at, at night on Sunday again against the Rams. Who should Seahawks fans root for in the Niners versus the Saints game? You want to ask me that question? You want to answer the question? I don't know the answer, but I've seen a lot of debate on Twitter, and I've seen people pick both of them. Yeah. So I'm not sure which way to go on that. So ask Mr. Postseason. Mr. Postseason, who shall I root for on Sunday, the Niners or the Saints, if I'm a Seahawks fan? Incorrect, Greg. Um. <laughs> <laughs> God, I, can, I can see it happening. I can see it, yes. Well, the truth is that... They get help either way, and that's the easy answer. Okay. The Seahawks will get help no matter who wins. Forget the tie for a second. No matter who wins the 49ers-Saints game, the Seahawks get help. And really, the answer to your question really comes down to a question that I have to ask you or anybody who asked that question, I've got to ask them. Mr. Postseason oh. actually has to ask them a question before answering the question, and that is, what do you think the Seahawks are going to do over their last – Let's say three games before the 49ers game. They play the Rams on Sunday night. They play at Carolina against a team that's kind of dead in the water. Yeah. And they play the Arizona Cardinals. The answer to the question of who you think should win, who you're rooting for between the 49ers and the Saints, comes down to one other clear question. What do you think the Seahawks are going to do in those three games before the Niners? If you tell me, Mr. Postseason, you say, Mr. Postseason, I think they're going to win all three. I think they're going to beat the Rams. I think they're going to beat the Panthers, and they're definitely going to beat the Cardinals going all three. Then the answer to your question, okay, the answer to your question is it can go both ways. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I might just be oozing with Seahawk pride after that Minnesota win. I think they're going to win the next three. I could see it. Do you I, do you think they're going to win the I next three? I think they're going to win. I, I, think you're going to, I think you're catching some teams who are kind of ready to go on vacation. Okay. And I think they're going to get them. They're going to get all three. Do you believe that the 49ers, this is the last chance for the 49ers to lose a game? 
What do you mean last chance? Do you think that the Saints game against the 49ers represents the last chance for the 49ers to lose a game? The 49ers end with the Rams one more time. The Falcons. The Rams and the Falcons before the Seahawks game. It would be silly of me to say I think the Seahawks are going to beat the Rams, but then say I think the Rams can beat the 49ers. So, yes, I think this is the last chance for the 49ers to lose. Then here's the answer to the question. Okay. You're rooting for the Saints to beat the 49ers. Okay. Because a Saints win over the 49ers, okay, and your three wins over the Rams, over the Panthers, and over the Cardinals, okay, for all intents and purposes, make you the NFC West champions before the game is played on December the 29th against the San Francisco 49ers. Did you understand what I just said? Yes, but I'm going to have another follow-up question for you then. And when I say for all intents and purposes, remember what tiebreaker I told you. For patrons that are out there that have not listened to 67P, I urge you to go back to the Thanksgiving Day release 67P because I go through all of this. Yes, you do. I go through all this. Remember, if the Seahawks run the table and finish 13-2, and two, you're talking about the 49ers losing one game, and that's to the to the Saints, and finishing to, and getting to twelve and three. 13 and two versus twelve and three in the final game of the season. Right. If that happens, the tiebreaker that the the two teams, San Francisco and Seattle, are going to come to for the division goes all the way down. It goes past division and head to head. It even gets past common opponents because they would have literally lost to the same teams. Right. Literally lost to the same teams. Baltimore and the Saints, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it will come down to strength of victory. We talked about this. Yep. And that will come down. Strength of victory would come down to essentially Seattle's game, games against Philadelphia, okay, Philadelphia and Minnesota, Philadelphia and Minnesota's records versus Green Bay and Washington records Ooh, because those are the right. two sets of teams that are different on the 49ers schedule. So if if the what I'm saying to you is if the 49ers lose to the Saints win out. Yep. The Seahawks win out. Okay? The the decision that the tiebreaker between the 49ers and Seahawks should the 49ers win the last game yeah. against the Seahawks, it's clinched, it yeah. would come down to they both would be 13 and three. Mm-hmm. It would come down to literally the combined records of the Eagles and Vikings versus the combined records of the Washington Redskins and the Green Bay Packers. Amazing. That's, That's amazing. what it would come down to. And, and, until last week, it was pretty clear which one was better. But then, the Vikings just lost to the Seahawks, and and uh, the Eagles lost to the Miami Dolphins, which hurt the Seahawks. <laughs> right. And then the two stinkers, Washington goes out and beats Carolina, and the Packers continue to win. So it got very, it got actually closer between those two teams. Does that make sense? Totally. Did I make sense? What was your What was your backup question that you're going to be? Well, if if the NFC West is clinched. That doesn't mean that number one overall is clinched necessarily, does it? If the NFC West is clinched and the Saints and the Saints lose enough games for the Seahawks to be above the Saints to not be able to end in a tie with the Saints, yes, the but very unlikely could happen. Okay. Very unlikely. Because remember, if the Saints are within one game of the Seahawks going into the final weekend of the se- season, if the they Seahawks the are 13-2... And the Saints are twelve and three, right? 
you don't want to end up you'd, – you'd still probably have to be if, – if you lost to the 49ers and the Saints won their last game against Carolina, you'd have the same record. And if the Packers didn't finagle their way into the three-team tiebreaker, which I've explained yes. to you, then you would lose the two-team tiebreaker to the Saints. So just because you've got the NFC West clinched doesn't mean you have the first overall seed clinched. But, but you would have the second seed clinched. And I'm getting greedy. I mean, number the second seed would be amazing. Amazing. Yeah, you might host. You might host the NFC Championship as the second seed. In fact, you very well could host right. the NFC. Someone Championship knocks the Saints team. off. Of course. Yeah. The San Francisco 49ers is a right. wild card team. That's right. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah. So there's your there's your Scooby snack. I'll go through the whole thing on episode 68. I'll give you every scenario under the sun. On the 68. Chiefs beat the Raiders. Kind of blew them out. The Raiders were probably. I have a lot of questions about the whole league. It's. Starting to wrap up here. So. What you need to know is that the Seahawks on Monday Night Football did it again, 37-30. to 30. They held on for the victory. Russell Wilson is now the greatest Monday Night Football quarterback in the history of that series. Did you know that? I think he's 9-2, and two, which gives him the greatest winning percentage of any quarterback on Monday Night Football in, in the history. Did I see that Kirk yes. Cousins is 0-8 on Monday night? Did I see that? Is that right? I don't, Has he I don't been know on that. Monday night eight times? It I could be. could be. I thought I saw he was 0-8 on Monday well, Night Football. Well, then he's 0-9. Coming out of the game? Coming out of the game 0-8. I can tell you he didn't win on Monday night in Seattle. He sure did not. Two rushing touchdowns. Yes. Which means everybody except for Hotshot. That's right. Can join me on Tuesday. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday, today's the day. If you're listening to this on a Wednesday, you've already missed it. Tuesday, Taco Tuesday at Taco Time. All locations, two free tacos for any Seahawks fan. All you got to do is have the Taco Time app. You can order ahead. You get two free crisp tacos. It could have been three or four. I looked at you at one point and said, Jesus, this is looking like three or four. That's quite a meal. Three or four. Yeah, three or four. That's impressive. Almost can't eat all that in one sitting. You gotta take them home. <laughs> Two free tacos for everybody on Tuesday at all Taco Time locations. But you, of course, have decided that you're not going to go. We'll have a decided that you've kind of dug your feet in now, and now well, you there's, no, now, there's no going back. At I this feel point. like a sellout now if I go take the free tacos. But did it feel like the, the Rashad Penny one should have been a rushing one because it was a screen pass, wasn't it? Oh, I mean, they were, were you're like asking me if it was a screen pass. <laughs> you love and I. You're nice asking pass. me, the guy who's obsessed with the pass <laughs> rush and obsessed with screen pass. Do not. How often do screen passes work? What's the what's the accuracy? What's the what's a success percentage of screen? Even the Seahawks threw a couple of them on Monday night, and they worked for eight, nine, ten. They don't throw the traditional one like I like, where you let everybody in, you throw yeah. it over the top. Like Vikings, the Vikings were doing it. it. Yeah, yeah. But yes, it was a screen pass. To, to how's how, how's the combo of Petty and Carson looking to you right now? It's such a nice one-two punch because they have different styles. Completely. I, I think Penny's a little fire and quick, ice. Yeah, he's a little quicker lightning to the and hole. thunder. But uh, Carson's, he runs a little tougher. It's its so nice having both of them. And when Carson got hurt in the first series, I thought, oh, boy, Penny's going to have to carry the mail. But they, Penny's much better when Carson's in there. Cause they How get, did Penny they get, get so good so quickly? What happened with Penny? Confidence? What happened? I think the O-line is playing pretty well. Out of well. their heads. They, had a, they blew some huge holes open. On Monday, and that's night. and you know I, I'm a huge Carson guy, and I point and I tend to point it out to you during the course of the game. I like Penny, I love Carson, and I think the difference between Penny and Carson is exactly what you're saying. You you know Penny's got a little more of a burst to him. Yeah, I think Carson's elusiveness is underrated. I think he can make I people agree. miss, but to me, there's no question. There's no there's no question what the difference, the real difference between the two guys is. And you can talk about fumbles all you want. They both actually fumble. We can talk about fumbles all you want. 
Carson makes something out of nothing. That's when right. Carson gets hit, he goes two or three more yards. When Pen- or sometimes he breaks through and goes 10 or 15 more yards. When Penny, Penny needs a hole. Penny needs a hole. Now, he'll hit it maybe faster than Carson, yep. but Penny, Penny needs an opening. If Penny doesn't have an opening, if it's a tough day and it's clogged up, Carson's your man on, on those occasions because Penny goes down pretty easily not once a, he gets hit. Not a lot of tough four yards from Penny, whereas Carson will get that for you often. But the flip side is when the hole's there, Penny's gone. He's through it. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I love it. I love having both of them. Russell Wilson, not a great volleyball player. Clearly not. pretty good. Pretty good night on Monday night. If it weren't for that interception for a touchdown, his rating would have been well north of 100. What was made it? The play, it was like 99. In fact, I'm going to go through something for okay. you. I got something fun for you because you always you sit down with a tail of the tape. I want to do a tail of the tape recap for you. One quick thing. Oh, I like that. that that's a nice. A tail of the tape recap. Just a little tail of the tape recap because I got something that's very interesting. I think that you'll find interesting, but go ahead. One quick thing about Penny. I heard Pete Carroll talking about the draft class of 2018. Yeah, he was asked, oh, the guys at 18 are doing well. Who was that guy asking? Yeah, yeah. I, I used to be able to recognize every voice a yeah. few years ago. But- that was such a suck-up question, though. Well, most of them are. Hey, Pete, you're, yeah. all your guys at 2018 really played well tonight. They, they're really coming around. But there is something to that because going into the season, I wasn't that impressed with Rashad Penny or Trey Flowers or Rasheem Green. I, I wasn't really feeling any of them. But those yeah. three had a nice night against Which the three? Vikings. Flowers, Green, and? Uh, Penny. And Penny. Yeah. So the, All I, played well on Monday. I didn't think much of them even five or six weeks ago. I would have said, eh, 2018 wasn't a great draft Well, the year. thing about Green, I'll piggyback on your remarks about Green, is – Take it one step further. There are lots of guys na- not named Clowney and Ansa. I-, I think that the development of the defense, which you talked about early, that is now no longer terrible, and we want it just to be average or a little bit better than average. And I say, if it's average or a little bit better than average, they are a Super Bowl contending team. Yep. If it's terrible, they're a wild card contending team. That's the difference. I think what's transformed them into this better than average defense the last three weeks is the de- it's not all cl- and Clowney was all world against the 49ers. But he didn't even play against the Eagles. Yeah. He had a limited impact on Monday night against the Vikings. But you're getting stuff from Green and Quentin, Quentin Jefferson, Jefferson yeah. and, and just guys, you know, Puna a little bit That's here right. and there. Yep. You're getting names that are – and now Ansa all of a sudden, I try to point it out to you. Ansa, who goes games after – who's been going game after game after game without having any impact, is now – you know, getting in there three times, four times, making making his presence known on four or five plays. Now, you might say four or five plays, Mitch. Well, while the Vikings ran 60, well, no. I mean, you get you get four or five from Ansa. Just four or five good, you know, pushing your offensive lineman right back into the quarterback's face. And you get three or four or five from Clowney. And you get one or two from Green. And you get one or two from Jefferson. All of a sudden now, you're getting... 10, 12 plays right. on defense, and that's the difference between sh- shitty yeah. and better than average. Let's not forget Jaron Reed, too. And Jaron Reed. You're getting a few plays out of that guy, too. So there's too. like five or six guys yep. in that rotation that are starting to make a play. E- even uh, Shaquem, Shaquem Griffin, a-, a couple games ago, I didn't see much of him on Monday night, but he made a play or two yep. against the Eagles and against the Fort. So, yeah, you, you, add, you don't need... Uh, yeah, clown. You'd love for Clowney to be in there ten or twelve times a game. It's, it's not, not going to happen. It's not going to happen, yeah. especially if he's sore right now and playing hurt, whatever. Which, by the way, I look as an aside. Go ahead. I, I I love the whole. He opted not to have surgery because he really likes this team and he just wants to play for the Seattle Seahawks. 
It, it had nothing to do with the free agency at the, at the end of the year where he was going to ask for $20 million a year. That has nothing to do with it. He just wants to play. He really likes the Northwest. That's he right. likes us as fans. He likes the podcast. He likes the Seahawks. Very that's he likes is. Taco Tuesday. It's really, really yeah, Ty's yeah, there yeah. every time oh, I yeah. go. I see him there. You imagine that conversation with him and his agent. I'm sorry. You're thinking about having what? Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Take your Here, tummy ache in there. Here's what you're going to do, buddy boy. <laughs> you listen to me. You're going to not have surgery. Right. You go in there. And then I want you to tell everybody you just love being in Seattle right, right. and you couldn't see. I mean, if you were on some other team, it would be a no brainer. I'll have the season ending surgery. But yeah, I want you to tell everybody it's because you just love the Northwest and you love playing football with the Seattle Seahawks. When you're 40 and retired, you'll be thanking me. All Trust right. me. We have three good guests. Before we get there, I thought I'd do something. I, something happened in terms of the tail of the tape that I think you and maybe other. We do the tail of the tape on the patron shows. On We'll do another one for 68P. I think I'm really looking forward to the Rams Seahawks tail of the tape after that first game that they played on that Thursday night many a couple of months ago but anyway I just want to go back now and grade one portion of the tail of the tape and that is the Minnesota defense the Minnesota Minnesota defense the Vikings defense and our tail of the tape remember eight categories yep they were sixth 15th 13th 15th 9th 13th 17th and third Sorry, good. that's not right. That's not right. They were 6th, 15th, 13th, 15th, 9th, 13th, 17th, and 10th. Okay. Okay? I, I just want to give you a grade on, all, on, on just the Minnesota defense versus the Seahawks offense. Okay. All right? The Minnesota defense was 6th in the league, averaging, allowing 18 points per game. How many did the Seahawks score? 37. <laughs> yeah. Who won that one? Right. Okay. Yards per game, the Minnesota defense was giving up 338 yards. Seattle on Monday night, 444 yards. Who won that one? Uh, that would be the Seahawks, but I'm curious, where, where, did, where was the rank on that for the Vikings? The 15th, mid, middle, of the, okay. middle of the pack. The, the, the Vikings defense was giving up 20, uh, 19 first downs per game. Upper in the upper tier, the Seahawks got 24 on Monday night. Third down percentage. The Vikings were giving up 37% on defense, 37% first down per conversions, yeah. third down conversions from the other team. The Seahawks got seven out of 15 or nearly 50%. Winner Seahawks. Okay. Yards per rush attempt. The Vikings was, were right near the top, only allowing 4.1 yards per attempt. The Seahawks had 218 yards and 5.1 yards per carry yards per pass attempt the vikings were giving up 7.1 yards per attempt defensively the seahawks and russell wilson 7.7 yards per attempt passer rating the vikings were giving up opposing quarterbacks 90.9 90 uh passer rating russell wilson even with the pick six weird interception 99 passer rating and finally the Vikings were sacking quarterbacks, one of the best sacking teams in the NFL, at least in the top 10, with 31, so essentially three per game. Mm -hmm. They got to, they got to uh, Russell Wilson twice during the course of the game. In every single one of the eight statistical categories that we do on Tell the Tape involving the Vikings defense, the Seahawks beat by a landslide, essentially, 
their averages over the course of the first 10 games, the Vikings averages. So what I can take away from this, it sounds like, is next time we do tell the tape, I'll just know it's all horseshit. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> I mean, absolutely that's, not. That's what you're saying right no, now. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying that when it comes to the, the, the battle between the Vikings defense and the Seattle offense, which we highlighted yeah. on 67P, uh, big time win. And really, sh- again, I hate to say it, but it should have been a blowout. It should have been. I mean, thirty-four seventeen. Oh. You're right there. You're on the. Pre- it takes again. Just don't do anything stupid, and you win the game going away, and then it's more fun than the ballet. But you got to do something stupid, and then it becomes a stressful. Then you're you're better off going to the ballet. At thirty-four seventeen, it felt like the Vikings are overrated and a joke, and we're going to drop fifty on them. They had the momentum. They had everything. Yeah. And then the DK fumble and things start to happen. And- Busted coverage. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the busted coverage, exactly. It's funny because DK made a nice catch on that fumble. Did you notice that behind him? The ball was a little behind him. He snagged it. Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice that. Because everybody questions his hands. So I've been watching real closely, and he kind of he kind of adjusted and made a little catch behind him, and but he just didn't put it away. He, put, he had it in two hands out in front of him. Yeah, and, and the guy hits it, it. I mean, yeah. it happens. The guy's a rookie. He's got a lot of pressure on him, right? I think he's going to yeah. be just fine. Yeah. And it, by the way, how did his hands look? Forget the fumble. Perfect. Hands are perfect. So Well... Are the, are the hands involved in the fumble or not? <laughs> as far as catching the ball, how did, did he catch everything? He caught everything. He, yeah. he caught everything. And Russell still targets he him, which is everything. all you need to know. All right. Monday night football in the books. Seahawks are 10-2. and two. They beat the Vikings 37-30. to 30. You're going to hear from Rick Neuheisel on, on Chris Peterson. He has a lot of remarks about Chris Peterson. You'll hear us on, about Chris Peterson. We have three interviews. We've got the guy from Arizona on the Cardinals player who decided to go to Vegas and start wagering, not only wagering on football, but betting against his team, <laughs> and he's been suspended for two years. So oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, well, I didn't know that. He's been suspended through the 2020 season. And he was a practice squad guy. Is that what? No, he was just on the injury. Oh, he he was made hurt. the team. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Forfeiting a lot of money. Well... You know, I guess I'm the last guy to be talking about judgment. Maybe I shouldn't make the comment. But at some point between the decision to make the wager and the walk up to the Bellagio Sportsbook front desk, some point at that that walk up, does it never kind of jump into his mind? You know, I'm a member of the Cardinals. I probably, A, shouldn't be making a football bet, and B, certainly I shouldn't be betting against my team in the yeah. second half against the Bucks. The question, I mean, maybe he answers it and I can listen, but I'm wondering how they found out. Did one of his friends, I mean, who, how would anybody know? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Who's I don't, I, the person who couldn't resist and had to tell somebody? Narc. That's the person <laughs> I hate. I hate, I hate. I hate that person more than the guy who made the bet. All right, three interviews, and then you and I will come back and talk about Chris Peterson and some other stuff, like Mike Leach's... Just, just going after oh, the columnist. Kill them. A spokesman, a, a, a Spokane <laughs> spokesman review columnist. Right. I mean, you've always hated us. No, probably I mean, not. You, you gotta feel badly. I mean, is he not even an LA Times columnist? But see, th- but this is why when everyone talks about how much they love Mike Leach and how funny he is and quirky, I'm always like, eh. this is the other side. This I'm is not kind feeling. Of the nasty I've side. never felt Mike Leach. He doesn't do anything for me. Really, he's not funny. I don't think he's funny. The pirate thing is yeah. just like, eh, okay. shut up. Right. Because of this kind of stuff, it okay. re- really rubs me. Right. Hot shot, I know that you're on a perpetual diet, but who could go for a piping hot slice of the Pacific Northwest best pizza like the Buffalo Soldier 
at Zeke's. Ranch-based buffalo chicken, Mama Lil's peppers, and so much more. You'll be supporting the Northwest Homegrown Pizza Company, founded in Queen Anne in 1993. You'll also be supporting one of the biggest reasons why I was able to do this podcast and get back up on my feet. Zeke's Pizza is celebrating the adventurous spirit and natural affinity for craftsmanship that makes the Northwest great. Their dough is made every morning in its kitchen on Finney Ridge and then delivered fresh daily to all of their locations. If you want to watch a Seahawks game with some fabulous pizza and a craft beer or two, listen to me. Either do it at one of Zeke's 17 spots like the newest one in Woodenville on 135th Avenue Northeast or order a pizza and some craft beer right to your door and let Zeke's Pizza deliver it. Easy call. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Usually it's Alave, 17. Here's Fields. He fires in the end zone. Touchdown, Buckeyes. K.J. Hill. Bonus for the time. Kick is on the way, and it hit the From the seven. Huntley rolling, rolling, and it is caught. Touchdown. Who else? Grant Keithy. It is Brooks straight ahead. Touchdown, Oklahoma. He carried the load on a 93-yard drive, and he gets the glory. Local news out of Seattle today from the college right Well, how about Chris Peterson stepping down temporarily as the Washington Hay coach will leave after the bowl game season with defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake will replace him. The bowl game will be his final game in Washington. Keep in mind, there are NFL teams that made runs at Chris Peterson. They wanted him to leave. They couldn't get him to leave Washington. Now he is leaving. Episode number 68, Fireside Home Solutions presents former Colorado head coach, former Washington head coach, former UCLA head coach, Rick Neuheisel. And Rick, well, as the world turns here in the Pacific Northwest, before we get to anything else, the big story on Monday, the uh, the resignation of Chris Peterson after, I believe, six seasons as the head coach of the University of Washington First, tell us what you thought when you first heard the news. How did you hear the news, and, and what was the first thing that went through your mind? Well, I wasn't to any place where I could read it, so I was just hoping there wasn't a uh, health reason or anything that uh, was causing this abrupt resignation or, or, or retirement. Uh, and I'm happy to learn that that's not the case. But uh, you know what? I, I kind of admire the fact that here's a guy that's going out while – uh, you know, there's still time left to chase other things in life uh, rather than just taking it to the to the to the nth degree and, and not having much uh, time for other things in your life. So uh, he was fantastic in his role at uh, the University of Washington. Uh, they'll always remember that he took them back to uh, a state of uh, relevancy in terms of the college football landscape. Uh, they were a participant in the college football playoff. Uh, they, they had some very, very big moments in the Chris Peterson era. Uh, they were unbeaten in the Apple Cup. That's uh, always a signature game. And I think uh, he recruited a bunch of really quality people there that uh, wore the purple and gold proudly. Uh, I can't say enough good things. And then when you add in his Boise State run, uh, 94 and 12 there, uh, you're talking about a Hall of Fame coach. So 
congratulations to Chris. I hope he enjoys retirement and uh, looking forward to the Jimmy Lake era. Do you think, we'll get to the Jimmy Lake era in a second, do you think that this is all about Chris Peterson and retirement? Or won't you be surprised if a year or two from now he recharges, he gets the bug again, and he ends up on a college football sidelines? That's always possible. I mean, uh, we're talking about uh, Urban Meyer uh, today, you know, is whether or not he's going to come back, even though Urban's uh, reassured everybody that he's very comfortable in his new role uh, as an analyst and, and away from uh, the coaching sideline. Who knows what uh, fire will be in Chris Peterson's belly a year from now, uh, having uh, been away from it. I know personally that it never really is extinguished. Uh, you, you constantly watch games and remember uh, the challenges that go with being on that sideline and making the decisions in, in real time, and, and you miss that. Uh, but there are things uh, that we don't even know we miss as coaches in, in real life, whether it be with family, whether it be you know vacations that you couldn't take uh, because you were engaged in recruiting or the whatever else goes along in the 365-day-a-year uh, uh, job that college football coaching is. Uh, and I think he'll enjoy retirement. We'll wait and see if he's got the bug. You know, Rick, uh, when he was at Boise for all those years, winning more than anybody in college football, he had umpteen opportunities to go to the big stage, and he stiff-armed them all until the Washington job came along, making us all wonder whether he was just the type of guy, maybe a little different, who didn't need the big spotlight and didn't even want the big spotlight. Then he came to Seattle and he and I joked about it every time I interviewed on the radio show I would always start with the question are you having fun because every time I'd ask him that question I was never convinced of the answer it never felt to me that he was completely comfortable in Seattle at the University of Washington is it possible that he spent six years out of his comfort zone and this is the reason why we're, we're talking about retirement I think that's very much uh, a likelihood. You know, Chris Peterson uh, interviewed for the USC job before he took the Washington job and in no uncertain terms told J.K. McKay and Pat Hayden, I don't want to do all this dog and pony show. I want to coach my team. I want to be with the players and the coaches. And they saw that as a, uh, a mandatory requirement to be the head coach at USC. And, and ultimately decided on Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, and Chris, Part uh, Chris Peterson, when coming to Washington, obviously the job requires that you be in the public eye, that you uh, be a guy that uh, is available uh, to the media. And I don't think that's the part of the job that he'll miss at all. <laughs> that part of the job, uh, I think, wore on him. And as you suggest, might have gotten to a place where he said, this is enough. How about the decision by Jennifer Cohen, Rick, to immediately name Jimmy Lake the uh, the new head coach. I don't know if this caught her by surprise. I don't know how long she was clear that this was headed in this direction, but I know that there are recruits. I know that there are verbal commitments. I know now there's a state of confusion around a college football team when a guy of the magnitude of Chris Peterson gets up and walks away. Speak to the issue of the decision to immediately name Lake and then kind of graduate to what it faces him in terms of securing all these commitments and stabilizing a program that could now be in a little bit of disarray if players decide, well, I was going to Washington to play for Coach Peterson. 
my initial reaction is great happiness for Jimmy Lake. He has proven himself as uh, both an assistant and as a coordinator that he has the chops to do the job. Uh, his recruiting prowess is well documented. Uh, he's learned from a guy that, uh, you know, coined the phrase, OKGs, our kind of guys. I'm sure he'll follow in uh, with that blueprint in mind. Uh, and I think it's a great opportunity for Jimmy Lake uh, to have the, the 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 head coaching title. I think uh, what a and what a place. Having been the head coach there myself, I know it is a preeminent job. It's a it's a wonderful job. You get uh, to get all sorts of friends in the community. I hope he has as much fun as I had doing the job. But it feels, Mitch, uh, that this was kind of a planned deal. It feels like uh, Jennifer Cohen and Chris Peterson probably had a conversation on this front uh, in, for who knows how far back, and that uh, in that conversation, I can only imagine that Chris Peterson gave her the uh, advice that this would be a great hire, and it would be able to alleviate concerns about recruiting because Jimmy's so uh, pivotal in that, and that this would be the, the best possible way for the program to continue on the trajectory that I think most people believe it's on, which is to be a championship type program. So in, in that regard, I, I compliment Jen Cohen in, in, uh, in going along with that idea. And it may, who knows, it may have been Jen's idea the whole time, but it feels like it was planned for the ability for a, a retirement coupled with a new uh, announcement to be uh, in sync with one another. Why not make Jimmy Lake a candidate and open up the interview process. This is a huge job. It's a job that uh, I got to believe is a top 10 or 12 job in the, in the land. There'd be probably some big names that would be interested. Why not talk to some people? And then if you want to decide to give it to Jimmy Lake, you give it to Jimmy Lake. Well, I, I'll bet, uh, and I don't know that Jen has commented on this, uh, so forgive me if she already has, but my guess is that she feels like she's already done her due diligence, Okay. that she feels like she's seen enough of Jimmy Lake uh, in his current capacity to know that he has the chops to handle the rigors that are go along with being a head coach, that uh, she sees no reason to disrupt what she calls a winning formula. And uh, this is a, a great opportunity for, for Washington to uh, get one of the up-and-comers in college football. So, I, I mean, that, that to me is what she's going to say. Uh, and I believe her, uh, she's, she's correct in that assumption. Well, certainly a huge surprise to a lot of Husky fans. Chris Peterson's resignation. Jimmy Lake is the new head coach, and we'll see what happens from here. But that's just the tip of the iceberg in the world of college football. I don't even know where to begin with that Auburn-Alabama game. <laughs> There's the Jacob Eason debate here locally. But before I do anything else, I think I might be hallucinating, and I need your help. Can you help me out for a second? Okay. That's what I'm here for. Uh, anything you need, Mitch. I, I was happy trouble sleeping the other night so I turned on the TV and I swear I swear I saw Rick Neuheisel talking about throwing a touchdown pass to Vern Lundquist now I know that that can't be possible there's no way I saw that I must I must I, I but it was so vivid and lifelike it just it, I feel like I actually saw you talking about throwing a touchdown pass to Vern Lundquist it is true that I threw Burns' last touchdown catch. <laughs> I was I was on the, on the passing side of Burns' last touchdown catch, 
I was the head coach for the Washington Huskies at the time. We were playing Purdue in the Sun Bowl. And as you know, CBS has had a long-standing relationship with the Sun Bowl. And so Vern and the crew were there. I think Andre Ware was his uh, yeah. was his running mate, his analyst in the booth those days. Yeah. And so as was tradition with the CBS crew and staff that were all there to uh, produce and get, bring the game to everybody, they had a little touch football game. And they invited me to play. So uh, they said <laughs> it wouldn't be fair to have Andre Ware on one side as a quarterback and not have – somebody who had at least a little bit of experience. I didn't have a Heisman Trophy type experience, <laughs> but I had a modicum of experience. So uh, we they picked the teams, and Vern was on my squad. And during one of our drives, Mitch, we got down into <laughs> the equivalent of the red zone in a touch <laughs> football game, all right? Yeah. Vern, as you might guess, isn't uh, fleet of foot. He doesn't. Uh, he's a yeah, possession, possession he, receiver. He goes he over the middle. He's good over the middle, but he's not good getting we behind needed, defenses. We needed <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We needed to find a way to get Vern open. Okay. <laughs> it was like trying to find a way to hide a phone booth. Okay, yeah. and it. Uh, <laughs> so what we did is we lined up everybody, and the rules, of course, being flexible in flag football. We put everybody to the left of the center. Vern was the center. And I said, Vern, let everybody, and I just told everybody, just start running across to, the, to your right like you're creating, just make yourselves into a human Zamboni, if you will. And you're going to mow everybody down, <laughs> and Vern is just going to drift out into the, to the left flat there. And I'm going to roll to my right and throw back to Vern. And that is exactly what we did. <laughs> and Vern backpedaled to the left flat. He didn't run to it. He backpedaled. And I threw him a nice little softball. And I, I can see the ball in the air as I am telling you the story. <laughs> and he starts to – I mean, you can see his eyes get big. He's going to catch it. And he starts to lose his balance. Oh, no. And he starts to trip, and he's going to fall. Oh, no. And the ball hits him in the chest. <laughs> And he hangs on. Oh. He literally crosses the goal line by inches. <laughs> he hits the back of his head. And I said, I'm not sure the touchdown was worth losing Burn. Oh. And yet he pops up with the ball in his hands. Pops, probably an inappropriate uh, <laughs> uh, way to describe it. <laughs> but he gets up with the ball in his hands. Touchdown, Lundquist. And we called the game. That was it. There was no better way for that CBS flag football game to end than Lundquist in the end zone. And I was on the throwing end of it. Did, you absolutely did hear that on television. Did, did the did the thick glasses stay on during the reception, or did they fall off? <laughs> no. It was it was a yard sale. It was projectile. Everything was flying. <laughs> Graceful uh, he is with his tongue, uh, not with his body. Yeah. I can't wait to have Vern back on to ask him about that. Rick Neuheisel brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. What a great season it is for a fireplace. Start your search with Fireplace Home, Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. This Iron Bowl, now you and I were talking a little bit before I hit the record button. This Iron Bowl is just a different animal. I thought it was always a different animal. You said to me something before we started. It's always at Jordan Hare. The, the games at Tuscaloosa are not nearly as wacko and bizarre and crazy. I guess I don't follow it that closely. Well, the, if you think back about the plays that just will go down forever, the kick six, right? The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, this, this episode of just ridiculous one play after another, 
uh, in this particular episode, they, they all seemingly happen at Jordan-Hare. And when you stop to think about it, the last six times that Alabama has been to Jordan-Hare, when both teams are ranked, Alabama's 0-6. 0-6 wow. when both teams are ranked That's at Jordan-Hare. I could start with all the uh, controversial calls that Nikki Sabes is upset about the illegal substitution at the end, the one second field goal at the end of the first half. But for, for my well-being, I need to know the answer to a question that means absolutely nothing. I, I'm the master of asking questions that mean absolutely nothing, but I'll ask it anyway. But you, but you set them up so beautifully. <laughs> so, yeah, just like the way you set up Vern on that touchdown pass, the way you exactly. rolled to your right. Exactly. I wanted you to see it with me. I'll, yes, there I'll, you go. I'll ask the question that nobody's asking because nobody cares anymore, and it's irrelevant, but I like to hear the answer anyway. Had Alabama won that football game, instead of, what was it, four? 48-45, instead of being 48-45, instead of being 48-45 Auburn, what would, if it were 48-45 Alabama, what would be the discussion? What would be the conversation? Where would we be in terms of the football playoff today, tomorrow, the rest of the week, uh, as opposed to where we are with Auburn winning? It's a great question. Uh, I think that the, the, the ability for uh, Auburn to put that many points, regardless if it was in victory or defeat, would have uh, been hard for Alabama to get over the hump. Now, pending what happened around, right, with Utah uh, and the what kind of game we the Big 12 champion produces, uh, that that would have been left to the decision. There, they would have certainly been much more alive than they sit today, but ultimately. Uh, too many points. 46, you know, given up to LSU, okay. uh, whatever the 40 number was, that's too many. And and you can say, well, the defense only gave up 34. Mac Jones threw two pick sixes, right? Yeah. But Mac Jones is now the quarterback, which was the fashion show that we thought we were going to see. Could Mac Jones take this Alabama offense and look too alike? Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. for much of it, he did. Jalen Waddell was sensational. You know, they put 40 points plus again. Uh, this Alabama offense is one to behold with the skill level at running back and wide receiver. And I thought the offensive line did a nice job against one of the best defensive lines in the country. At a day's end, the defense was not in sync enough, not athletic enough. There was no Quinn Williams. There was no Jonathan Allen. They just didn't look like Alabama. Remember Dylan Moses got hurt before the season started, their star linebacker. And I think that would have doomed them. Okay. Rick Neuheisel is our guest, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Let's go over the two. There were a lot of calls, but let's go over the two very controversial calls. And if I were a really, really bad guy this holiday season, I would say that there's no better coach to find out about having 12 men on the field during a kicking play <laughs> than uh, Rick Neuheisel. But because, Why did I know that was going to come but, up? But because I'm such a sweetheart, I am not going to bring that up. Nick Saban says the, the, the trickeration, the tricky Auburn play where they brought the punter in, put him at wide receiver, they didn't give us enough time to get our – get our team on the field and get our punt returner off the field. You buying that? Let's start there. It's a bad look in my estimation for Nick Saban to be complaining. I know it was, you know, minutes after the game when that uh, question was asked and answered, but it's a bad look. It was a great ploy by Gus Malzahn, the Auburn head coach to put Aaron Sipos wearing number 90 
into the offensive uh, huddle, uh, Aaron Sipos wearing number 90 is the punter mm-hmm. for Auburn. But 90 is a legal number. And then they will, went up to the line of scrimmage with their entire offensive line, their normal uh, group of uh, receivers, a H-back and Bo Nix at quarterback, along with a running back. And Sipos lined up as a wide receiver. What happened was Alabama from the box saw Sipos come off the bench and called for the punt return team. The punt return team ran onto the field. Then they realized Sipos wasn't lined up as the dang uh, punter. He was lined up as a wideout. And so now they ran their defense back in. But as they ran the defense back in, Jalen Waddle all the way back there to get the punt return wasn't realizing and no one was getting his attention. So the rule is once the defense has, uh, once the ball is marked and imminent for play, meaning everybody's set and the substitutions happen, the defense is always allowed to substitute with the offensive substitution. So they were given their three seconds, but when they substituted again, since there was no new substitution by the defense, excuse me, by the punting team, they didn't get the next three seconds. I see, yeah. So the fact that the ball was marked imminent for play, the back judge threw the flag, and it resulted in uh, uh, Alabama not getting another chance to uh, take the lead or tie the game. And, and it was a brilliant ploy, ploy by uh, Gus. I mean, you saw Sipos. He, the, the plan was he was actually going to motion back there and punt. But they were going to keep the idea not to necessarily get 12 men on the field. The idea was to get a safe call and then basically safe, meaning that the Alabama would have left the defense on the field. Then you don't get Jalen Waddle back there to return yeah. a kick. Remember, yeah, he yeah. returned a, a oh kickoff earlier in the day. Yeah. But yeah. Alabama saw 90 go in. The call came down from the box saying, 90's going in, it's punt, punt return, and all of a sudden they, it was yeah. a fire drill. Yeah. And it goes, Mitch, a little bit to how many coaching changes Nick Saban's endured over the last five years. Every year it's a revolving door. It's been astonishing to the level of competence that they've been able to attain over and consistently with so many new faces in so many, uh, so many coaching positions, mm-hmm. namely coordinators. They've had more coordinators in the last five years than uh, you can shake a stick at. I mean, it's, it's incredible, but this time I think it caught up to them. At the end of the first half, Rick, uh, of course I was rooting vehemently for, the, uh, for the, the winning team, Auburn, but at the end of the first half, I was convinced watching it live, oh boy, they don't have a timeout, they can't spike it. There's just no way with one second to go that when the when the referee whoever whatever the official starts that clock, there's no way they can snap it and get a field goal kickoff, and yet they did. And Nikki Sabes again, very very angry at, at halftime. I know that I saw you at halftime too. How can you defend them getting a kickoff in that one second? Well, you can't. And truthfully, there will be a rule change during this off season. Uh, it had been discussed. Uh, I found out today in a conversation with an official uh, to make the the rule the same when the clock, when a replay stops a running clock, which that would have been, it would have stopped for the first down and then started again because there was no timeout by it for Auburn to, to keep it to stop. So if, if a replay stops it, the rule is if you're going to spike the ball, it has to show at least three seconds to get the next play, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to spike a football, run down there and spike it, it, the clock has to have three for you to get a chance to do it. If it's less than that, that way you keep a home clock operator from you know artificially stopping it too soon and so forth. 
they were trying to get that same rule for this exact situation, but it didn't happen. So it was administrated uh, properly. I was frustrated as a coach sitting there watching it because normally the administration as the umpire, that official that sits kind of on the defensive side of the ball, right behind the linebacker level, that umpire normally comes up and stands over the ball waiting for the whistle from the referee to put the ball back in play. But I was told today that when it's on scrimmage kicks, he clears so that they can basically do it. So uh, this is just proper administration. Okay. They, there was probably the indication that they wouldn't be able to do it, but you could see how the head referee in that game allowed everybody to be set wanting that play to get Got called, it. get run. And, and uh, I guess it, as I listened to it, that was proper. Okay. It, it, it's frustrating, and there's no question there'll be a rule change. Rick Neuheisel brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Start your look for a brand-new fireplace. Re, you know, get that old one out of the house and get a new one. Start at FiresideHomeSolutions.com, your search. So let's go through it. We've done it week after week. It's starting to come into focus. I'm going to ask you, I guess, many of the same questions as I asked you last week. Let, let's start here. We've got Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, Utah, Oklahoma. I'm assuming for the sake of our conversation, Baylor's not going to get in even with a win, right? Baylor's not going to get into the top four, right? I don't rule them out. I do not okay. rule them out. And I think if Baylor comes back and does what they did in the first half against Oklahoma and then finishes the job and Utah doesn't get it done against Oregon and Georgia takes one on the chin, as is the expectation against LSU, I would not be shocked okay. to see Baylor make How it. How about Wisconsin? Forward. Is Wisconsin, for the sake of our conversation, out? Can we put them on the outside? No. With their two They're losses. They're probably out. They're probably out. Uh, but a historic victory over Ohio State might put them in. I, it's very unlikely. Okay. Then here's the series of questions very similar to what I've asked last week. You and I disagreed on one of them. We'll get to the point here in a second. Let's start with Ohio State. Blew out Michigan versus Wisconsin again in the Big Ten championship game. If Ohio State loses close and LSU wins and Clemson wins and I guess Utah or Oklahoma replaces Georgia in there, will Ohio State stay in the top four considering how great of a season they have with one loss, a close loss, to Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game? The answer is probably yes, and I hate it, but I think the answer probably is yes, especially if Justin Fields, who tweaked his knee again in this contest. By the way, it was one of the genius plays of all time. Have your quarterback go down with a knee, put him in the injury tent, then run him back on the field, and then have him scramble to his left and then throw a (laughs) 25-yard touchdown pass. I actually said it on television. I'm putting Uh, that one in. If I ever coach again, we're going to call it tent left. Okay. Yes. But, uh, but but if he if he is not looking mobile and they lose as you suggest a close game, yep. the Ohio State season would still be amongst the top four. Okay, let's go to LSU now. You and I disagreed about this on episode sixty-seven. Let's have the conversation again. LSU really manhandles Texas A&M. They've had a great season. I think they've even had a better season than Ohio State. I don't know. It's close. LSU facing Georgia. Yep. A close loss to Georgia for LSU. Let's say Ohio State wins, they're in. 
let's say Clemson wins, Clemson's in. Georgia with that close call win against LSU would be in. Let's say Utah and Oklahoma both win comfortably. Now, LSU is a close call loss in the SEC championship game with a one-loss team. The committee would have to decide who's the fourth team with Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. Would it be LSU or, let's say, Utah comfortably over Oregon or Oklahoma comfortably over Baylor in that scenario? If I'm in the committee room, I actually need to know more details about the loss. I think we can create a scenario where LSU is in, uh, given what you just said. But I also think that if Georgia scores 40 on LSU and to, to win the game, then there will be major concern given what Georgia's looked like offensively uh, in the last few weeks that there's a real problem with LSU. And I could see LSU being out in that case. But ultimately, uh, or I can say that if Burrow got – you know, dinged, but he would be ready. It was, it was a head injury, right? That, you know, he can't play. It's he's in concussion protocol, knock on wood, that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. but you'd know, he'd be back and, and Georgia wins a, you know, a, a tight game. I think LSU could be in, but if, if, if Georgia wins a convincing win, making LSU look pedestrian and every, and every, everything's on all go, I could see LSU being out in that scenario. You think that the committee would take, and I hope you're right, but you think the committee would take a one-loss Utah team that went to that went to USC and lost, as I recall. They would take that Utah team over an LSU team that ran the table except for a loss in the SEC championship game on a neutral field to a top-four team. You think they would take Utah over LSU in that case? Here's what I think. You know, this this last Saturday uh, was interesting because there was these 3.30 Eastern time windows, right, where you saw the Iron Bowl. Probably the whole country was tuned into the Iron Bowl after watching the Michigan-Ohio State game, which was the noon window. And then you were able to tune in and see a little of both Utah and Oklahoma because the day was really billed as a fashion show. How was Alabama going to fare? How was Utah going to fare? How was Oklahoma going to fare? And if you were the committee, you're watching all that. And you're watching it maybe as closely as you've watched them all year long. And you tuned to the Utah game and saw it at 7-7. You're going to have your suspicions. Right. But then they went to the gas pedal. Right. And what, what transpired in that second quarter through early in the fourth looked like a dominant team, looked like an energetic scene, looked like college football SEC style. The, the Salt Lake City was jumping. It felt big-time college football. And I think that, along with the numbers that are in front of you, all the data, the analytics, if you will, is going to keep that committee saying, you know what, Utah deserves real close inspection. They're really good. And given the way Justin Herbert's playing right now, with, with I think, a real lack of confidence after that loss in Arizona State, it doesn't look the same. I think Utah has a chance to really put the foot down on the gas pedal again in Friday night's tilt. I do too. And I like Utah getting into this thing. Yeah, I do too. I guess what you're saying then is the simple avenue for Utah is to win the game against Oregon and get an LSU win over Georgia. If I'm hearing you right, I don't. You don't think Utah would have to worry about Oklahoma jumping them for that for that last spot, for that Georgia spot, right? I don't right okay. now. Okay. Uh, now. 
Oklahoma, because it, it, it didn't in that same little window of television watching on Saturday night, which I was now privy to if I make myself a committee member. Yeah, I was watching Oklahoma, and Oklahoma defensively did not look nearly like Utah did. Oh, Utah, not nearly like Utah did. So, yeah. I, I if I was watching those two, which literally were on side by side, you know, Fox and and ABC. It, it was simple to me to say, Utah is better right now. Before we finish up with Rick Neuheisel, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions on this episode 68, let me get a thought from you on the Apple Cup. Jacob Eason, I don't get it. There's a lot of Husky fans. I know Husky fans are frustrated with 7-5, and five, frustrated with not being in the conversation for a major bowl game and everything else, and maybe – they're just flailing. I, I think they're swinging at the wrong guy. I'm not saying that Jacob Eason's a Heisman Trophy winner. I'm, not, I'm just saying of all the issues surrounding Washington this year, the the uh, the thought of going after Jacob Eason seems misguided to me, but what do I know? I, there's a lot of Husky fans that are saying, get out. We don't want him anymore. He's not mobile. He can't move. Let him go to the pros. Good riddance and all that. I want your thought on that. And then I know, because I asked you before we started, you saw Mike Leach's frustration bubble over uh, with the media after losing again to Chris Peterson. So start with Eason and graduate to, I know Mr. Nice Guy Rick Neuheisel never had a moment in the press conference quite like that. (laughs) Well, let's start with Jacob. You know, his numbers for the year, first of all, seven straight wins uh, in the Apple Cup. That's fantastic. Congratulations to the dogs. Uh, Easton finishes the regular season with a 22 and eight touchdown to interception ratio, 63 plus completion percentage, uh, 7.8 yards per attempt. Those are, those are good numbers. Compare them to Browning a year ago. Browning was 8.2 yards per attempt, 16 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. He was a little bit better, close to 65%. Uh, but Really, to go get really different numbers from the quarterback position during this Chris Peterson era, you've got to go back to the playoff year where Browning was 8.8 per attempt, right. 43 touchdown passes to just nine interceptions, right. and, but he was a 62% passer. The difference that year, Mitch, was they had John Ross and Dante Pettis. Those two guys, John Ross had 17 touchdown catches. Dante Pettis had 15. If Jacob Eason had John Ross and Dante Pettis right now, and I'm not knocking Aaron Fuller, who had 600 yards and plus and six touchdown catches. I'm just saying if he had John Ross and Dante Pettis, a first rounder and a second rounder as his receivers, these numbers would be wildly different given the strength of his arm and the ability to attack the deep portions of the field. They just don't have them. And I understand Washington fans. Maybe I understand Jacob Eason's plight maybe better than most because Washington fans are so proud. It's, it's their strength. It's that they they're from there. This is their beloved team. This is uh, who they are. And if you don't want to be with us, then you ain't one of us and get out. Right. That's because when I had a dalliance with it, with another team, I, I felt that same vitriol. Mm -hmm. I felt it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't one of them when I, when it seemed as if somebody thought I wanted to be someplace else. It, it, uh, there is, I can just tell you that Jacob Eason's going to be making a business decision. He and his family will be making a business decision, but if he chooses to stay and I think he could really benefit by staying, I, I think, I, and, and I know having experienced a senior year in college myself that you never get it back. 
There's plenty of time to go play pro football. I know what the economists will say and what kind of money you're leaving behind. But at the end of the day, this college deal, and I, he's not wondering where his next meal is coming from. This college experience is wonderful. But I hope Husky fans will give him the, the, uh, the space to make this decision in his own time and realize that he chose to come home to Washington, that he wants to be there, that he want, he's trying his best, and I think uh, great things can do, be uh, a part of it down the stretch. Do you think if Jacob Beeson is hearing and reading Husky fans, I'm not saying all of them, but a good chunk of Husky fans, a good percentage saying, go, go to the NFL, we don't want you anymore. Do you think any of that will actually play a part indirectly or directly into what decision he and his family make? Do you think he'll feel like, oh, they don't even want me here anymore? Maybe maybe it is, maybe yes. We're all humans. Uh, Now, we're told not to pay attention to that when we're in the uh, public arena. We're told to look the other way and, and uh, turn the other cheek and you know, make it, it's, it's just people who don't know much about all the facts that, that are going into these kind of decisions. But at day's end, the, you're human. And if you're a little tired, you're a little cranky and you read something like that, it can have an impact. There's no question about it. It's not going to stop it. I'm, I'm just, you and I having this conversation are going to get people to stop. But ultimately, it, it, it's such a proud area and it's, it's the strength of the deal. People so are so in love with their Seahawks and so in love with their Huskies. And it, it's, it's really cool. It's fun to be a part of the community. I love coming back, but at, at some point when you feel like you're on the outside, you feel that victory. I'm telling you, yeah. you feel it and you feel it in a big way. And I just hope that's not weighing in on Jacob Beeson's decision. Finish up for, for, for this episode, episode so, 68. Mike so Leach. Mr. Leach, yep. uh, Mr. Leach, it listens to the question, uh, posed by the, uh, the writer and you know, it's, you know, what's different. Why, why does this seemingly the same outcome every year? And, and he, you know, he's frustrated, uh, as any coach would be, because he knows how long the streak's been going better than most. And uh, I promise you, he's doing everything he can to get it fixed. He doesn't, other than changing what he does. I mean, he, he believes in what he does. He just feels like they have to play better. And uh, so he responded in such a way. Uh, it's absolutely not the right thing to do. But for Mike Leach, who cares very little about what anybody else thinks, it was very Mike Leach. It was very authentic. And I think those that fall for the Mike Leach persona, and I don't mean fall for it as if it's an act, because I think he really is authentic, who, who, who love him for it, uh, are going to love him more for it. Those that are on the fence are going to say, this is kind of petty, because this is the, you know, you don't get a fight with a guy who's got a barrel full of ink. I, I had a guy, a writer at, uh, at UCLA, uh, TJ Simers, who was with the Los Angeles times. And he would, it was like a show. He'd come to my press conferences. And if you studied my time at UCLA, there weren't a lot of press conferences I was looking forward to, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, I, am I'm, I'm sitting there and TJ would just basically start off. And it was like, it was like a boxing match. I mean, he jab, 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 haymaker, jab, 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 haymaker. And there were, were probably 10 to 15 other uh, journalists in the room as he was going and I'd try to stay with him. And it was, it was like, he'd get me into the corner and then he'd start his flurry. I stopped one time and I looked at the other 14 or 15 journalists and I said, 
is this fun for all of you? <laughs> why, why did you come just to watch this? <laughs> because it's, it's, it's always like you clear the way for him to just have this opportunity. No one tries to ask a question until TJ's done. I'm just wondering what the pecking order is here. And you should see how mad they got it. <laughs> it was, it was incredible. I just, I, I found it fascinating that there was just this cast system that allowed TJ to just go first and, and have his way, but uh, never good to argue with those with the barrel of ink. It's never Rick, good. Rick, thank you very much. Ohio state wins, LSU wins, Clemson wins, and Utah wins, and we have Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, and Utah as our final four. That's what I'm sensing. LSU and yep. Clemson, LSU and Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl, and Ohio State and Utah in the Peach Bowl. Ah, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see Utah's defense against Ohio State in any bowl game. That would. Be so great. would I. Yeah, I'd love to sense. see Kyle Whittingham in that yeah. kind of state. Yeah, so I think I. he'll deliver big time. Ah. Rick Neuheisel, episode 68. We'll talk to you next week at this time. Thanks so very much. Look forward to it. See you now. One more week to go before we all figure it out for the college football playoff. How about Rick Neuheisel to Vern Lundquist for a touchdown? I bet you didn't see that one coming. I say this all the time because I believe it. Daniel's Broiler is a special restaurant, and one of the things that makes Daniel special is their belief in world-class hospitality. Of course, you expect excellent steaks and seafood at Daniel's. Of course, you expect the world-class views and the great wine list. But we live in a time when hospitality is becoming a lost art in these restaurants restaurants and that's a shame when you go to a daniel's broiler your needs come first and that starts with world-class hospitality daniel's goal is to make every guest feel like they are a part of the daniel's family and i'm not just talking about being polite it's much more than that world-class hospitality is making every guest feel warm welcome and important this holiday season as you know from the real world that doesn't happen by accident how you're treated is just as important to Daniels as the excellence of their food. Locally owned by the Schwartz family and located at South Lake Union, Leshye Marina, Bellevue Place, and the new downtown Hyatt Regency where we watch the Vikings and the Seahawks. And that location is serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. I love Daniel's Broiler. Always have world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. All right, episode 68 continues. You know, December's a huge month in the world of football, college football, pro football, college basketball, the NBA. But it's also a huge month in the world of major motion pictures. Well, and joining us, hold on, let me introduce you. No one, I, I got, I got I a formally no introduction. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to do. say, December is no, Let me, is, let me the- introduce you, and then you could say whatever you'd like. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us on episode 68, all the way from this home is my guy, movie mogul Max, making his return to Mitch Unfiltered. When was the last time, was it the summer, the last time that you were on? All I know is that when I was last on, Antonio Brown was still an Oakland Raider. <laughs> Okay. So right. it's been a while. All right. It's but, been a uh, while. I was going to say December is the biggest, not just not just a big. It is yeah. the busiest movie time of the year, busiest really? movie day of the year. Right. 
Christmas Christmas Day. So what are what are what are the big ones coming up before you? I know that you have three three movies that you want to review as Movie Mogul Max, but we've got major motion pictures coming out December, right? Christmas time is when all the big films come out. What am I going to want to watch? What is an old Alta Cocker like me? What are you going to want to watch? Yeah, what am I going to want to see? Um, the thing that might pop out to you is the story of Richard Jewell and the 1996 Atlanta bombing. So that's coming out. So yeah, that has John Hamm in it. And yeah, that looks I'll pretty good. Yeah. There's also a story, or sorry, there's also Star Wars. That's not something you're going to want to watch, but that is the movie of the of the winner, Star Wars, the conclusion of the Skywalker saga. For those of you Star Wars, and this fans. is it now. This is it for well, <laughs> no, Star Wars is Star Wars is the cash cow in the movie business. So right. Disney will will probably burn down Star Wars in an attempt to recreate endless spin-offs. But this is the uh, this is the the story, the sagas. One, two, three, four, five, six. This is nine. So this is the conclusion of the main saga that you that began when you were growing up. Um, now there's Will also Will this be the biggest movie of all time or no? No, no Disney cannot outdo itself from earlier this year, okay. as you as you might already remember. From no. Endgame. Endgame is already Disney's high watermark. I don't think Disney will outdo itself, okay. especially because okay. of the controversy surrounding Star Wars. But we'll get, which is that people are split on how good or how bad episodes seven and eight have been. There are really? people who there are people who really like what they've done Disney since they bought Star Wars and they did these two, and there are people who say this is horrible. We don't want this. But uh, we'll talk more about that after I've seen that movie. What, nu- uh, what number is Return of the Jedi? Because that's the last Return one. Of the Jedi I walked out in the middle of was, Return uh, of the was, Jedi. Was, was, uh, was like episode six. Right? But, right, it was episode six, but it came before episodes one, two, and three. You know that. Yeah. Anyways, along with Star Wars, there's Cats. The Cats the movie, based off the musical. Really? Yes. Oh, with, I'm so in with, on that. With James Corden. And I believe really? Taylor Swift. Yes. Oh, Taylor Swift. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm so in on Cats the movie. Yep. I didn't even know. Yeah. yeah. What else? And then 1917 is is a World War One movie based on a guy who a guy and his friend his his uh his comrade I guess who travel have to travel a hundred miles to prevent other British troops from going into a German ambush to protect his brother who's in this other battalion. 1917. We just dealt with 1917 two episodes ago. Did you know that? I'll give you a trivia question, and you can stump your buddy Ek when you go to school this week. I'll give you a trivia question. 1917. What happened in 1917 that has everything to do with sports and Seattle? We'll see now whether you're a fan of Mitch Unfiltered and you actually pay attention to Mitch Unfiltered or whether you're not a fan. You're only I don't a fan know. of the I was shows do- that you're on. I don't know. I was, I was doing homework when you said this. <laughs> yeah. There's no, no chance of that. Anyways. 1917, the first american team to win the nhl stanley cup the first north american the seattle metropolitans of 1917 bring that to your trivia class to your to to your high school okay anyways yeah back to the topic at hand the movies the movies (laughs) there he goes again he won't let me veer off the topic at hand okay go ahead well, that's, people aren't here to see me get stumped. They're yes, they are. St- no. They want to hear about high school. They want to hear about We're colleges. Back. They want to hear about they girls. Hear, they I want know, to- but you know what they hear about more than that? What? Gemini Man. <laughs> Gemini Man. Who cares about Gemini that's Man? That's a good question. But for me to address Gemini Man, <laughs> yeah. we need to go back a bit. because okay. I don't even know what Gemini Man is. This is one of the three you're going to read. Gemini Man is a story of Will Smith fighting Will Smith. I it's saw a, the a, preview of now, him, an older Will Smith yeah, fighting a younger yes, Will Smith. Yes. Now, right? for me to talk about Gemini Man, I need to go back and talk about John Wick 3, which I reviewed earlier yeah. from over the summer. Yeah. And if you remember, you saw the movie. John Wick 3 is the story of, of, a hired, of a hired gunman 
who has gone against his criminal code, and then the people who hired him now hire people to kill him for a bounty. Okay. So pretty much they're tying up loose ends. And it's, and it's a thrilling action movie with lots of plot that builds on the previous two movies. Okay. Let me talk about Gemini Man now. Uh, Gemini Man. Are they related, these two? Or is it just the same kind of... Just, fe- well, I, okay. just go, let okay. me finish. Okay. okay. <laughs> Gemini Man is the story of people who hire gunman Will Smith trying to tie up loose ends by attempting to kill Will Smith with his clone that they want to use for a more perfect soldier. Are you seeing kind of the similarities here? I am seeing the similarities. Now ask me if I'm feeling a desire to go out and see Gemini Man. You After shouldn't. That explanation, you shouldn't. Like, That's terrible. my point. It's terrible. It's not. It's nothing you should spend money on. That's okay. my point. If okay. it's a free movie at home and you're bored, watch right. it. Okay. But it, it's a. It's unique. I'm no expert in camera. Yeah. And 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 uh, and frames per second. I'm no expert in any of that. But from what I heard, they use some special, brand new technology. That goes that uses has much more frames per second than any other technology used before, and I could tell it's, it was a very unique shooting. Yeah. But the story was dry. Okay. They, they no used good. This, the gimmick. It was a gimmick. They said, "Oh, here's Will Smith fighting Will Smith." It's not still out, is it? No, for good reason. This is again. An, this is a fault that we have on Movie hey. Mogul Max. I you're supposed to come on in like the day or two after something's released, so you can tell people whether they should go to the theater or not to watch it. You coming on after it's already been removed from the theater <laughs> doesn't help anybody. Yeah, what do you do with the eyes? Well, we're, get, we're getting what kind there. of eye roll am I getting? We're right getting now? <laughs> to the, we're, okay. Well, then let's move on. All right, and let's talk what are we about, talk about Ford next? v Ferrari. Is that still out? Ford v Ferrari is yes, still out. Okay, and here are my thoughts on Ford v Ferrari. Yeah, this is a. This is a race car, a racing so. movie. This is a sports, Matt, the Matt, sports it's, movie. Yeah, it's Matt okay. Damon and it's okay. uh, and it's Christian, Christian Bale. Bale, who yeah. I after I haven't seen Christian Bale since I saw Vice. So the most surprising oh. thing for the movie was me looking and saying, "This is the guy who was walking around full like oh. Dick Cheney, gaining yeah. fifty oh, pounds." Oh my God, was that, that was an crazy? Unbelie- did he win the Academy Award for that? No, he did not. God, he was good in in, in Vice. But, God, but what I was going to say is that. The movie just doesn't appeal to me. I'm sure people who enjoy racing yeah. love the movie. And it was good. The story was written well. The shots were made well. It was an interesting movie. It just didn't have that appeal to me. Like a basketball story would. If you had if if they if those two Hoosiers. guys Yeah, if those two guys were a GM and a head coach struggling to hold on to a team that was threatening to leave the town it was in, I'd be interested. But it's not my type of sport, and it's therefore not my type of movie. It was good. Are you saying that you have to be a race car fan? I'm saying— We went to Thanksgiving dinner at Friends the other night, and you sat with one of the other adults in the room who loved Ford versus Ferrari, and and you said, I get it, because this guy guy actually goes out and he races cars. I would say that to truly, at least from my opinion, to truly— appreciate yeah. Ford v Ferrari, right. you would have to have some interest or some prior knowledge right, about I'm racing. I'm when it comes to racing, I know NASCAR. I know Dale Earnhardt. You don't know NASCAR. I, I, I know the names Dale Earnhardt, Kyle Busch, Danica Patrick. That's all I really know. Growing up in this house, you're not allowed to know NASCAR or racing. Okay, we don't do racing. That's in the fine by me. That's fine by me. <laughs> so I, it was solid. And if, you, and if you're curious about racing, yeah. then I would go see it. But as someone who's What's never... What's the story? The story I, is this a true story? Yes, What's the story? Yes, the story, story. is of... Of Ford. Ford was going bankrupt at the time. And spoiler alert here for everyone. I'm going to spoil this one in Knives Out. So if you're listening now and you don't want to know how Knives Out ends, I wouldn't. Well, we want people to listen, not turn us out. Tune okay, us out. well then. You know, that's the, that's the whole objective. Of well, how am I here. supposed to truly review a movie if I can't? You can review the movie okay. without telling the, the end. The story is about a, a, a soloist. He's a very self-centered, hard to work with, but very good racer. Who, who, when Ford goes bankrupt, they hire 
they hire Shelby, the guy who created Shelby. His last name Shelby. But and that's played by Matt Damon. And he says, well, if we're going to beat Ferrari to raise our brand at the Le Mans race, I want Ken Miles, who is Christian Bale, to race for us. And they say, no, Christian Bale isn't, or sorry, Ken Miles isn't a Ford driver. He okay. doesn't have the image. So it's about kind of the corporate struggles between Shelby and, and Miles Got with it. Ford saying, well, he's the best guy by far. He's not even close. Okay. But he's not the image they want. So it comes down to, you know, and then on the racetrack, he's great. But it's just getting him there that becomes the problem. Okay. So I won't say any more about that. Okay. Definitely worth seeing if you're, in, if you're even slightly into racing, you'll enjoy it. But if you have no interest in racing and you think that's interesting, you might find yourself a little bit bored sometimes. Watch it, it at home when it comes out on exactly. Netflix or wherever. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So Knives Out. Knives is Out is a movie. Is, is a, from what I've heard, very popular. Very popular. Is Knives Out currently out? Oh, yes. Came out this weekend. Okay. And you've so, already seen it. I saw it. See, this is what we're talking okay, about. Okay. Well, let Movie me... Movie mogul Max is in the house. All right. Well, can I actually review it, or are you just going to keep hyping up me up? Well, I... <laughs> we're supposed to have... Have fun. Let your hair down okay. on, on oh, Mitch Jesus. Unfiltered. Okay. Oh, all right. Go uh, ahead. Okay. Go so, ahead. Yeah. It's a, it's a mystery. It, yeah. He's all, he's all about the movies. Go it, ahead. It's a mystery film directed by Ryan Johnson. It has a great cast. Christopher Plummer, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, and... Jamie Lee. Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. And, it, and it's... It's and I like mystery movies. I liked or Murder on the Orient Express, the new one. I haven't seen the old one. Is this so, a Who Done It? Yes. Kind of. Oh, it is. Yes. Yes. And maybe and I, would I like love this. and I love these types of movies. Would I like this movie? Probably. Probably. Now I'm, I'm probably going to spoil it because so because I have to talk about because when it comes to Who Done It, it's the story is the most important. This movie was simultaneously kept me on the edge of my seat, but at the end of the movie, I have to be honest, I felt like it left something on the table. The pieces mm. were there. Mm. It, it, it was like, let me put it this way. It was like Elijah Wan, Pippin, Barkley, and, and Drexler teaming up on the Houston Rockets in the late 90s. Yeah. The stars were there. They just didn't align for, a, for another title. I see. Christopher Plummer, who is, who is the, the family moneymaker, he's an author, is, murder, is, is not murdered. He's found dead. And it's ruled as a suicide at first, but now the family comes to mourn him and see who gets his publishing company, who gets his manor, his big manor. We have detectives who are, in, in, who are interviewing and trying to find it. And then there's been a privately hired, Daniel Craig plays a private detective who is hired anonymously. Daniel Craig is James Bond? Is, is the latest James Bond. Okay. He, he is he's hired anonymously to investigate okay. the, the suicide Sounds like the, it sounds like the clue, the clue game that you like so much. But my big issue with is the writing. It, there's a part where at the beginning of the movie, they interview a lot of the main characters. Yeah. But they don't interview all of them. And this becomes an issue for me when in the middle of the movie, one of the other characters is asked to reveal what he had heard. And it's, it's a big developing moment in the story. But I'm here thinking, well, if they truly interviewed everyone at the beginning of the movie, shouldn't they have already known this? That's my. That's you the found kind of some issue. flaws in the writing. Um, the perfect mystery whodunit lays out all the clues on the table throughout the movie for the audience to try and figure out who did the crime right. before the detective does. And I didn't feel like they gave you the chance to do that. They were so caught up in the kind of the double switch, betrayal, double cross, where because if you don't feel like you could solve the mystery, it's not as exciting to follow along, right? You like following along and say, well, if he did that, then this person has motive. You know, I, I can't be the only person who thinks, well, oh, well, this is interesting. They have motive. That's not as fun when I don't know everything. So what's the bottom line in terms of our listeners? Yes or no? 
thumbs up, thumbs down, go see it, don't go see it, wait to see it on I say, at home. You've not given them any, you've not told them to go to any of these movies out in the out in the theaters, which is okay. I say you go see this one because I feel like go I'm, see a, it? I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> I say to myself, I come You're to a myself, perfectionist. I come in here saying, okay, everyone raves about this movie. Maybe I'm trying to pick out the stuff that's bad. Maybe it's a better movie than I'm saying. Are you a perfectionist when it comes to your room? No comment. <laughs> this interview is over. I declined a comment. Um, but yeah, uh, I let feel me like- ask you this before you leave us, because I know you have to run. Yeah, I, we only have limited time with Movie Mogul Max. I'm, I'm, I'm very tough let to me, book. Let me <laughs> call it, call it, call it cowards on the other line. <laughs> let me let me let me ask you this before: Have you ever seen Jamie Lee Curtis in another movie? Halloween. The Halloween, Michael Myers. Okay. I've seen her. She played like the, the mother. original ones when she was no, in the, when no. she was young. She's, no, her, her, this is two years ago. The one that came out recently, where she was the older mother prepping her entire life for Michael Myers. Okay, and you haven't seen uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I have not, but you have. I have. How was it? I loved it. I loved it. But I, I'd love anything that um, that Tom Hanks does. Uh, do you plan to see a beautiful? Is see, you're the type of guy, even though you're, you're movie mogul Max, you're the type of guy that won't go see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood because it's not fast-paced enough, right? It's not exciting. It's not a thriller. I mean, it's something that you're not interested in. You wouldn't go see the story of Mr. Rogers. You don't even remember Mr. Rogers because he wasn't on when you were young. So, not usually. So you have no interest in I, even seeing I, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Not often. I wouldn't. I mean, I saw movies like The Founder. The story of the McDonald's, the yeah. guy who created McDonald's, yeah. but but you're not, not interested in not, Mr. Rogers. Probably not. You're supposed to go see all these movies and review them for people, and if you yeah, but say, then I end up watching reviewers. Yeah, but then I end up watching movies. then I end up watching City Slickers and City Slickers Two, and who really wants you, to do that? You never saw City Slickers or City Slickers Two. You won't even see Forrest Gump for goodness sakes. All in due time. Movie mogul Max, episode sixty-eight. Thank you, Max. Thank you. All right, somebody's got to tweet Movie Mogul Max and tell him to have more fun on Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah, we want the reviews of the greatest releases, the big films of the month, but we need more, so much more from Movie Mogul Max. Are you tired of hearing me talk about Tyler Hay and Evergreen Golf Call yet? You better not be because where would we be? Where would I be? Where would Mitch Unfiltered be without that premier wealth manager in the Northwest and the title sponsor of both our March Madness Pool and the Major Championship Challenge? Just an awesome partner. Headquartered in Bellevue with offices all over the West Coast, Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley. Been growing people's money for decades all over the community with charity involvement like the the Boys and Girls Club. And now the developer of a new online program to help those of us with limited savings get that same level of expertise as their high wealth clients have been enjoying for all these years. And it's called Evervestment. Evervestment powered by Evergreen Golf Call. Now you don't have to be a millionaire to invest like one. You don't have to own an NBA franchise. The same investment guidance as Evergreen's high net worth clients at a much lower fee. So whether you're saving for your first vacation home or the first day of retirement, try them out. Evervestment can get you there. Locate them on the web at evervestment.com. That's E-V-E-R vestment, V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T dot com. As we continue on this chock full episode 68, you don't stumble across an NFL gambling suspension Every single day. Last week, Josh Shaw, I guess a journeyman who was last with the Arizona Cardinals, was suspended through at least the 2020 season. 
And now we're hearing that the gambling not only included Cardinals games, but he bet against the Cardinals in November. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Darren Urban, our friend from Arizona, ArizonaCardinals.com, and Cards Chatter on Twitter. Uh, Darren, when you guys heard this story, what was your first reaction? Well, I mean, obviously we were really surprised. I mean, you know, again, Josh Shaw hadn't really been around because he got injured in the preseason. He got hurt in the first, very first preseason game. Uh, and went on IR soon after, uh, and even after he got hurt before he went on IR, he wasn't even really around as he got treatment. So uh, honestly, there's he had become a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways, a forgotten person just because he was on a one-year contract, and it was unlikely that he was going to be here more than the one year, anyways. But uh, it cer- certainly opens your eyes when a story like this comes down. Um, I know I was surprised. So there were no whispers. Nobody knew that he was being investigated. Nobody knew that the NFL was looking into gambling. Kind of a blind blind side for everybody in Arizona. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I guess there's always a possibility that somebody knew that, that I don't know. But as far as I know, uh, no. I don't think anybody really knew, what, knew that it was going on. And the fact that, again, he wasn't really even around and, and – uh, I don't think he was talking to many of his teammates at that point um, because he just hadn't been around. Uh, I hadn't heard one little thing about about him, about anything. I mean, not just the gambling. I hadn't really heard his name at all since the preseason. So he was on the injured list, right, from a preseason yeah, injury, and yet he was nowhere near the team? I thought that the guys that are on the injured list are, you know, standing around, they're at games, or on sidelines, what have you. He was completely cut off from the team is that right well I, I i mean i can't say completely cut off i'm not around everybody in the organization all the time but i will say that i didn't see him the, the guys who end up on ir that that have uh more serious injuries and i know he had a, i think it was a shoulder injury um uh, the ones who have something more serious that is going to take something some of them do rehab other places that there's a couple guys on on ir that uh I've barely seen all season, if at all. And then there's other guys on IR who are around all the time. I mean, the thing you have is, and and you know this, Mitch, if you're on IR, you can't practice. I mean, you can't rehab, and I suppose you can be in meetings, but if you know for sure you're going to be missing the entire season, uh, some guys just prefer to to go working other places. And I know there's there's a couple guys on IR for this team, and this has been true in the past, that, once they went on IR, you don't see them anymore. It's interesting because I guess I didn't realize that after all these years of watching the NFL. When I read the story on Monday that surfaced that he was in Vegas with buddies, like you and I would go to Vegas, in Vegas with buddies on a Sunday during the football season in November, making wagers on NFL games, my, my first reaction, maybe, maybe this is naive and you're going to call me naive, is, wait a second, I, I know he's on the injury list, but what is he doing in Vegas well, the Cardinals are playing a football game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I would just figure that he'd be somewhere around the team on game days. Yeah, I, I, well, game day and game days, especially on a road game, um, you know, the guys that are injured don't travel. Um, and, and even home games, again, some of the guys who are injured are around. Some of them aren't. Uh, I'm sure on a, it's all on a case-by-case basis uh, in terms of how they're going to get treatment, where they're going to get treatment, how it's going to kind of be handled. Um, and I just think that that was the case for Josh Shaw. I mean, again, I, 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 I never even really had a chance to, to talk to him. He signed in the spring. Uh, he was, he was right. He was right on the, the, the bubble in terms of whether he was going to make this team or not, uh, had he made it through the preseason. So 
I'm not even 100% sure he would have been on the roster. He just happened to get hurt early enough that he ended up on IR, and obviously the injury was serious enough that uh, he remained on the list. Any reaction from the team, the organization, maybe their mom because of the uh, the NFL's investigation, anything from his teammates, especially when they hear the latest, which is that he put a, a few pesos on a parlay against his own team in the second half of the Buccaneers. Anything? Uh, I'll be I'll be honest, Mitch. Uh, until you just said that, I hadn't even seen that part of the report. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, so I didn't even know any details other than what originally come out with the suspension. Nobody's really, nobody has really talked about it. I, you know, I, it's, it hasn't really come up a conversation, obviously, uh, especially the defensive backs and this team's defense mm-hmm. have other things on their minds right now, struggling like they have in terms of, right. of just playing the game right now. But um, it, it, it really hasn't come up. And, um, you know, again, I, I think everybody was surprised, but um, we all know whatever whatever else has happened you it's made very clear if you work in this league whether it's as just a a regular person or you're a player or a coach everybody has the same rules in terms of of gambling and and everybody's well aware that uh nfl game gambling is a no-no and so uh that's i think that's what surprised me more than anything is is you know i know he's probably been through that gambling training every year he's been in the league I'm surprised he was willing to do it yeah my guess is he won't be in the league for much longer because he's a journeyman and I know that you've reported that probably his remaining days in the NFL are limited anyway but what surprises me we can finish it here Darren Darren Urban is with us on the Zeke's Pizza hotline from from Arizona Josh Shaw is the name of the defensive back who was busted for gambling on football and now it's uh, it's come out that he was gambling on Cardinals games and against the Cardinals in the second half of a November game against the Buccaneers Uh, I'll finish with this Darren I'm a little surprised that this hasn't blown up to be a much bigger story not because of Josh Shaw because of where we are in in terms of gambling in the NFL with the legislation to legalize sports wagering in lots of different states and now the NFL is partnering up with casinos they're moving to Las Vegas they're getting in bed with gambling I I just this is the this is the wrong time for a story like this this is the first one that's popped up what's it's like Arch Leister back 25 years ago. I, I'm surprised that this has not been explored more nationally. Are you? I guess I get where you're going. I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't know the details other than what you've just brought up. But, I mean, it, if it turns out that it was basically that one time uh, that, that people are talking about, yeah. um, that maybe that's part of it. I mean, if it's a, it's a one-off, you know, that, that and, a guy, and a guy's just not thinking very clearly – yeah. Um, you know, uh, maybe maybe that's part of it. Darren Urban in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, on the Josh Shaw story. Don't forget, you got to take it easy on the Seahawks the next time around. The Seahawks are going to need that win, going to need that game against the Cardinals coming up here in a f- couple of weeks. Seahawks playing pretty good football right now. I think they can take <laughs> care of themselves. Thank you, Darren. Great to visit with you again. Right. Thanks for doing it. All right. Thanks, man. Wow, so Darren Urban of the Arizona Cardinals on an NFL gambling controversy. Josh Shaw, a member of the Cardinals, suspended indefinitely for gambling on the NFL while an active player in the NFL 
a no-no. I've hosted two different Seahawks viewing parties at Daniels, and both times patrons approached to tell me that they were refinancing their home with Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage. Mike even said that he pulled out $12,656.19 to do some home improvements. So stop procrastinating and continuing to pay more each month. The Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are now, no starting over the 30-year period, a refinance gets you out of that mortgage insurance, which is really costly. And also you can pull some money out like Mike to do some remodels. There's only one thing that you shouldn't be doing. And that's just sitting there listening to me, unwilling to at the very least take a 10 minute phone call to find out your options. There are three of the nation's top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage alone. Here's the phone number 425-250-3150. Again, 425-250-3150. The worst thing that can happen is after 10 minutes, you find out that you can't do better on your home than you're doing now. But the flip side is you can pay less each month with a refi of your home that doesn't start you all over. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150. Third down and five. Wilson's going to go deep. Wide open and into the hands of David Moore. With this deafening crowd here at Century Lake. Cousins on second and ten. That ball is intercepted. That was Trey Flowers. Second and eight. Wilson looks right, comes back to set things up with Penny inside the ten and into the end zone. The other stuff segment dominated by the news on Monday. Where were you? How'd you find out? Twitter? How'd you, how'd you find out? We find out everything on Twitter these days. Yeah, I typically... How'd you find out that Chris Peterson, after six years, has said goodbye to the University of Washington? First of all, I can't believe the Huskies would try to one-up the Seahawks on their big day. With the, I mean, <laughs> that's bullcrap, don't you think? I mean, let what, the Seahawks have their day. What, Good what, God. What, what, I, what, my, what was your immediate reaction when you heard? How did you... Did you hear on Twitter? Yeah, did I heard on, on that thread. I'm with like yeah. 10 friends. I, yeah. They're on Twitter. I mean, yeah. I saw it from there. Them first and I was Were you sad yeah I was bummed surprised I was I was surprised and pretty shocked bummed. it felt like he was gonna be like the the next Don James like 20 See, I years. wish you would have asked me that and I would have helped you off the air not be surprised now I mean not today yeah. Like I, I, I wish you would have like at some point at some point told me that you were expecting Chris Peterson I really to be was the next Don James yeah. no way no way huh I would have said no way I would have I would have told you you're smoking something no way but why take the job if you if, if you're not loving it well, first of all, I mean, I have a lot to say about Chris okay. Peterson. F- first of all, my first reaction was, "Oh, jeez, I-, I I didn't mean to be that hard on him when it came to when it comes to clock management." <laughs> yeah, yeah. He heard the podcast. I said, uh, "I just I'm not pre- I can't do this job." I, I, I mean, I'm not I, qualified. He's got that little card that he always says he looks at, and all <laughs> yeah. I said is, "Throw that thing away and get a new card," <laughs> right? Because you don't know what you're doing when it comes to clock management, and we could talk about. I, I was not happy with some of the reaction of Washington Husky people on social media. We can get to that in a second. What I would have said to you if you had come to me a year or two years ago and said, this is great. We've got Chris Peterson, one of the best coaches in college football, despite his shortcomings. He's not perfect, and he's uh, he's not good in, in clock management. He's just not he, – he has failed in clock management a couple – 
But yeah, I think I think overall they had one of the top five or ten coaches in college football yeah. at Washington. Sure. Had you said to me back a year or two ago, "Oh, it's so cool we have him, and we're going to have he's not the type of guy that's going to want to leave, and he's he'll be here forever." He's Don James. I would have said to you, "No way." And here's the reason, because I've never felt like he was happy at Washington. Remember, this guy, Chris Peterson, I know a lot of our listeners know this already, so if it's a redundant or repetitive, I apologize. But for the people who don't know, he coached at Boise State for eight years. Eight years. He was the winningest coach. and He was the hottest. He was Mark Few. Yep. For lack of a better uh, comparison, he was at Boise State. The game against he, Oklahoma, he was right? taking I mean, Boise State to big bowl games. Yep. He was winning more football games than anybody. He was beating big teams out of conference. He was going to bowl. He was the pie pie. He could have gone just about anywhere for eight years. And you know what he did? He never went anywhere. Why didn't he go anywhere? Because he's a different guy. He, he never really wanted the spotlight and the stage of the big football program and all the stuff that comes along with it, media and sponsors and shaking hands and kissing baby. He never wanted that, and he resisted. And when UCLA came to call, he said no. And when USC came to call, he said no. And when Oregon came to call, he said no. And when East Coast uh, SEC teams came to call, he said no, 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 no. And at some point, he just gave in and came to Washington. And then he came to Washington. And I can remember, I can remember just about every interview I ever did with Chris Peterson on the old, I used to do a radio show. Oh, I never listened, but go ahead. I had him on when he first took the job, like we all did, the introductory mm-hmm. Mitch in the Morning interview, right? But that's not even the interview that I, that I remember so vividly. The, the second interview, which was deep into that first year, either deep into the first year or at the very end, and some people listening to this podcast might remember this. I had him on. It was his first year. Everybody's feeling good. He didn't have a great year. He went like eight and six his first year. I said to him, how much fun did you have this year? And his answer was alarming. It was alarming. Anybody listening, I was like, oh, my God. Huh. You listened to 15 seconds of his response to that question, yeah. and it was like, oh, my God, this guy's not happy. And it was so much so that I made light of it. It, it. it became, so then he would come on a couple of times a year after that. But wait, do you remember what his response was? Yeah, it was just like, I don't look at this as fun. I mean, it was like no fun. He was not having fun. Hmm. And at first you thought, okay, well, he's one of those coaches that he can't have fun. He, he looks at it too yeah, seriously. He's Belichick. He's just always grumpy, yeah. It became, Scott, it became kind of a, a, inside joke between him and me kind of an inside coming outside he would come on once or twice a year after that right in year two and in year three and 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 because of the answer that he gave me that first that second interview the running gag was he'd come on and the first question I'd always ask him is well coach you having fun and he would laugh because he knew that I was asking based on that other interview right and the truth was he never convinced me that he was enjoying myself. It was, to me, it's been painfully obvious from the moment with all the success huh. and the college football playoff and yeah. the Rose Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. It's been, to me, painfully clear that this guy, part a lot of his job, he feels like it's pulling teeth and that he doesn't, he doesn't love it. So when I heard on Monday that he resigned, was I expecting him to resign? No, of course not. I was like, oh, boy. But... Does it shock me? Does it surprise me that after six years he would be burned out on Seattle, burned out on the University of Washington, and won out? Not at all. It 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 it, it does not stun me 
at all. And to be clear, he's going to work for the University of Washington, right? Yeah, so, that so might be saying, a little of a dog and pony show. That might okay. be, you but know, he's burned out on being money. the head coach. Yeah, he, what, what I think is going to happen, This is it, you can hold me to this. Uh, there, to me, if you, uh, if you wanted a wager right now, I'd bet, all my, I'd bet as much money as you want to bet that he'll be back. Not at Washington. He will be back coaching college football at some point in the future. Like a like a Boise State size where, where, wherever wherever he wants to go, he'll probably go to a lesser a okay. lesser prominent stage. I don't know. He won't be at Florida. A State. A guy like that, he's fifty five or fifty six years old. There's no way that guy is not going to ever co- coach. He's just burned out with the process and didn't love. I don't think he ever loved the Pac twelve. I don't think he ever truly loved Seattle and the media and doing interviews and being on stupid morning shows. And yeah. He didn't want to do any of that. I mean, it was so clear. He didn't want to do any of that. And in Boise, when you're in Boise, you can pretty much say, eh, I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm not doing As long as I win football games in Boise, coach, you do what the hell you want to do. He's sort of king shit over yeah, there. Yeah, you can do whatever really okay. you want to do. When you start getting into the SEC and the Pac-12 and the ACC, you, there are just certain things that come along with the job that he just doesn't like. And I, I've just never felt that he's been comfortable here. And so that's why I wasn't surprised. I'm, I'm disappointed because I, th- I thought he was – I think he's a gra- I think he's great for the program. I, especially – I mean, they've had some lean And you're years. in the majority. I did a poll. Did you see my poll on Twitter? Yeah. I think 51% said he's done an exceptional job. I yeah. forget the words I used. I'll take exceptional. And then 40% said solid but dot, dot, dot. And then there's the few. And then there's the vocal few minority that say good riddance, get him out. He's no good. Who was before him? Sark? Yes. I mean, would you go back to Sark? Well, you- Sark took – and I, I think Sark gets a little bit of a bad rap, even though he told me he's never taken the U- – he's not taking the USC yeah. job, and he took it five seconds later. Uh, Sark took an 0-12 program from Tyrone yeah. Willingham and made it into 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. Now, he didn't get to the next level – but Sark did a pretty nice job building the yeah. building the program. He brought some credibility. This guy back. comes in and goes eight and six, seven and six, then twelve and two playoffs, ten and three, ten and four, seven and five. I know the last year was a disaster. He goes to the Fiesta Bowl. He goes to the Rose Bowl. He goes to the college football playoffs, the national semifinals. Now he lost all these games. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> he did lose all these games. He goes to the Cactus Bowl. I, there's a lot of people. I, I just it's like the Jacob Eason thing. There's some sometimes, and I guess maybe somebody would say. Mitch, this is ha- this happens everywhere, so don't make it about the University of Washington. There are some times in the last 25 years of me being here, and I'm not a huge Washington fan. I had season tickets for a long time, took the kids to the games. I root for Washington. I root for them much more than I sure. root for Washington State. I don't know much about Washington State. but So I would just call myself a casual fan who pulls for them. But every once in a while, something happens – that really leaves me with a bad taste for Husky fans. And I know it's it's the I shouldn't be focusing on it because it's the it's the small, small minority that probably exists everywhere that just just a bunch of stooges. But I gotta tell you, the Jacob Eason thing is a little bit of the same thing. The people that get on their social media soapboxes and just kill Jacob Eason. Yeah. Kill him. Like, he sucks. Get out. I hope he goes to the pros. He's never going to make it. He's terrible. I I mean, it just it just irritates me because you look at this 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 Washington team this year and you start listing the things that went wrong, including the coaching staff and some of the decisions and including linebackers and drops on the wide receivers and offensive line issues and defensive back issues. The last guy. 
maybe not the last guy, but one of the last people on the team that people should be killing is Jacob Eason. He had an okay year. He yeah. wasn't the reason for the disaster. And wa- Washington fans are like, oh, he took, he picked Georgia first. Forgot. We don't even like him. I'm, you know, it just, it's just, it makes me kind of cringe for Washington sure. fans. And there was that on Monday on social media when the Peterson news came out. There was the whole, oh, I'm I'm so glad he stepped down. He he couldn't win the big one. He never could win a big game. He wasn't taking us to the next level. He was overrated. I mean, you hear, and I know it's I know I shouldn't just get caught up on the on the little this little slice of minority. But those people just give the program give the the boosters a bad look, a bad name. I mean, we could you want to debate with me whether Chris Peterson was a good coach in his six years? versus a great coach in his six years. I would argue closer to great than good. Yeah. But I would entertain that debate. Uh, that's fine. You want to have that kind of a debate? Good versus great, fine. We can have that debate. But if you're going to be calling me and you're going to be writing me, telling me good riddance, he's terrible, he couldn't take him to the next level, they needed to make, they needed to go in a different direction, uh, what what games, what, what, do those people know anything about college football? I mean, there's not, an, there's not a coach or expert in America, national coach or expert in America that would say anything but Chris Peterson is a fantastic college football head coach. Nobody, except for Washington, except for some Washington Husky fans. Drives me crazy. I was I'm a lifelong Husky fan, and when I did two years of afternoon drive at KJR with gas, I saw that side of Husky fans, and it's it is ugly and it is cringy. I know exactly what you're just, talking about. It makes them look ignorant. It makes them look yeah. like, oh, they're just a bunch of frat boys that don't really watch college football. Like go, I remember. It makes them look stupid. That's what there, it makes them look. There was there was a year where they said if Jake Locker would come out, he'd be the number one overall pick. Somebody that rumor started going around, but then he came back for I think his right. senior year. Right. And I, I remember like saying on the air, I was laughing. Like he's not going to be the number one. He's not going to win the Heisman, like everyone thought. And he's not the number one overall pick. Believe me, he actually went higher than I thought he did. But Husky fans, you would have thought that I went to all of their houses and punched their wives in the faces. They killed me for that. They just they can. Sometimes they get these blinders on, you know. Yeah, but and that's they only a diff- see it one way. Yeah, but that's a different thing. That's that's being loyal to a fault. I'm talking about the opposite. I think it's it's not the same thing. No. Uh, you know, not being able to see that our guy, Jake Locker, is the number one pick. But they can't see that Chris Peterson's a, a good, solid coach, and you might not be doing any better. Well, I, well I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't have any problem with fan bases. I have less of a problem with fan bases being so loyal and true to their guys that they, they have blinders on, is what you're talking about, yeah. versus fan bases or a fan base that has some people saying, Chris Peterson is a lousy coach, and it's good. I mean, that's like, that's like, that's like an ignorant. Co- that's like somebody who's never watched a college football game. It just makes you look stupid. I don't think it makes it makes you look so loyal that it's kind of nice that they think that Jake Locker is going to be the number one pick. It makes you look stupid when you say that Chris Peterson is not a good college football coach. There's no. I mean, it, it, that's like saying two plus two is nine. You can't win that. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way that that's true. Okay. A- anyway, that's enough. So what about the, what about the new coach? Any thoughts? Jimmy Lake. On Jimmy Lake. Well, I, mean, I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised that they named him right out of the gate. This has obviously been planned, as New Heisel said in his interview. This is this is not something that developed on Monday. 
Uh, this is something that obviously was developing over several days and maybe weeks, and we just didn't know about it. The fact that he had already had a contract, bam, five-year contract, $3 million, $3.4 yeah. million. Dollars. My, my first thought was, well, now it kind of makes sense why no other schools poached Jimmy Lake, right? I mean, he's been a good defensive coordinator for a while. I always wonder why he stayed put at Washington. So maybe this had been in the works for a while. Uh, I think so. Um, there's a part of me that because I like kind of sports and I like the the sexiness of sports, I would have liked to have seen who would have been the candidates. There's a part of me that misses that. Yeah. If it were an open job. Sure. Because it is, it's not Alabama, it's not Auburn, it, 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 but it is a top 10 or 12 coaching job. I would have liked, would Urban Meyer have been in the mix? I mean, I, I, just, right, yeah. I, would, I would like to know what kind of names would have lined up at the door of Jen Cohen. <laughs> yeah. We'll never find that out because they named, named him really quick. Lane Kiffin? No. <laughs> Stop it. Steve Sarkeesian? <laughs> right. Do you see Mike Leach kill the oh. spokesman review, the, the Spokane columnist after the Apple Cup? Yeah. An Apple Cup that your Huskies, congratulations, won. That's right. They did win, Again. Yes. Again and again. They, they beat him every year. Don't you talk they? about Chris Peterson not being able to win bowl games. Apple Cup, he's got yeah. that figured out, yeah. right? Yeah. He, he, that one he has figured he's out. He's got Mike Leach's number, huh? He does. Well, yeah, him and, and Jimmy Lake might have Mike Leach's number, too, True. going up against that offense. True. So, yeah. True. What would you think about his, his taking out the, the, the columnist? Not good. I, I, I didn't like it. I've, I've never liked his personality and his persona. I've never thought he was funny. I never The whole pirate thing, I think, is overrated and not interesting and just kind of dumb. The, he berates players. He you know calls them fat and happy. Remember that whole routine he yeah, went through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to go off on a reporter, it just makes him look bitter. And so I, I, I didn't like it, and I've never cared for Mike Leach. I guess I'm somewhere I'm somewhere not at the opposite end. I don't I'm not in love with Mike Leach, but I don't think I feel the way you do about Mike Leach. I do get a kick out of him at times. There are some times that I just think that the guy is so bizarre and offbeat that he's funny and it's interesting and he'll say anything and he's got no filter and I like and we, you know, we like unfiltered. We, yeah, that's we right. like unfiltered. <laughs> and then somebody might say, "Well, what happened on Friday after the game when he took out the 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 spokesman review Spokane columnist that just comes you can't have you can't have the fun Mike Leach if you think it's fun you don't but you can't have that other offbeat Mike Leach without getting this this is all part of it that's right if you shut down this then you don't get that so you have to decide it's just a really ugly look I I mean I watched it I know people have asked me a lot of times about my relationship with Jim Beheim when I was a when I was a kid reporter at Syracuse and I watched for four years the way he treated members of the Syracuse media, guys making, at those days, 15 grand right. to cover Jim Bam, And their whole life kind of revolved around having to be at practices and deal with Jim Bam. And I just watched how he took a crap on them every single day, yeah. and it was just horrendous. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure the guy who's in, in Spokane is a great writer and a great – I mean, come on, Mike. Really? I mean, I, I guess – I can't account for, I can't understand what he must have been feeling like sitting up there having lost another Apple Cup to Chris Peterson and kind of being embarrassed but, and not being able. So maybe he's frustrated. And, and again, I know about people who make mistakes and, and make bad judgments, and, I'm, and I, I, I put myself on that list. But come on, you have to go after that guy. Yeah. As columnist in Spokane, you got to go after that guy. Plenty of coaches awful. who feel embarrassed and, and bitter and angry after games, and they don't, and they, do they don't act like that. So that's a crappy excuse. The Dolphins. That's right. The the Elfins. No D or no O, but uh, I guess I'm going to have to stop saying that. Yeah, not anymore. The punter throws to the kicker 
for the touchdown. Got to be the first time in NFL history that a punter has thrown yes. a touchdown pass to a kicker. Gotta it has be right. to be. Okay, I, I don't know that it is, but I'm just going to declare it. Wait a minute. It, it, it How is. many times has a kicker caught a touchdown? I, I don't think maybe one time. Why ever. would a kicker ever be on the field to catch a touchdown? Because Why would they on, be on in a the fake offense? Kicks, on a fake field goal. Where the quarterback, yeah, but they don't go out for the. Sometimes they do. Efren really? Herrera, you remember Efren Herrera? I remember him throwing one. I don't remember. I think they used to toss one. it to him. No <laughs> way. No. I think they way. tossed it to him. He's built like you. <laughs> There's no way Efren Herrera. I am not built like Efren Herrera. <laughs> no, he was much boxier than same me. speed. I bet same speed is oh, what I'm I saying. Can, come on, Efren Herrera. You don't realize what the kind of blazing. <laughs> oh, is speed that right? Still okay. possess at 52. Anyway, and uh, by the way, on the same day, Deshaun Watson, a quarterback. Takes, I guess it was a forward pass. It looked like a pitch. He kind of pitched yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deshaun Watson scores a touchdown as the pitch man. No, he he scores a touchdown as the, not the pitch man. The pitch man, is the pitch man the guy who catches the pitch? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. The pitch man, you're right. He catches yeah. it as a pitch man. But it ended up being a forward pass because the wide receiver flipped it, and yeah, he does. I mean, yeah. well, that's almost as crazy as a, a well. Pick. He's a he's a high he's a high class athlete like Efren Herrera was. That's right. <laughs> but what Same I was going to say about the Dolphins, <laughs> the Dolphins won. The best part wasn't the punter throwing to the kicker. You know what the best part of that oh, whole play was? Was it Christian something? I or? don't know who it was, and I'm not sure many people have seen it because I just saw it, and I, I don't think it. many people have seen. It. I got to put it on the Facebook page. It's awesome. Yes. After the play is over, where the punter throws to the kicker and beats the Eagles for a touchdown. Somebody, and it's not like the television cameras, it's not like the television broadcast, some bootleg, like somebody on their camera or something, catches one of the Dolphins' <laughs> offensive linemen pointing at the defense and laughing at them. Yeah. At all of them. He's, he's pointing at all, and he's just giggling it. Like, I can't believe you just got used. Who'd have thought any Dolphin would have any right to laugh at anybody <laughs> this season? And yet, he really did have a right. By the way, the Eagles... I mean, come on. We need them to win. The Seahawks need them to win. What is going on with the – I mean, I told Seahawks fans on Twitter, please don't take for granted how great it is having eight straight winning seasons. It's freaking hard it to is. be good in the NFL. It is. They won the Super Bowl, what, two years ago? Yeah, now they can't get out of the road. They can't, can't beat the Elfins. The, the, the Eagles fans are they're, the they're dying for Nick Foles. Like, oh, if we only had Nick Foles back, our, everything would be – that guy got benched for Gardner Minshew. Yeah. God. It is so hard to be good in the NFL. Don't yeah. take for granted this Pete Carroll-Russell-Wilson era. It's All right, awful. before we end episode 68, do you have anything else left? on your list i have one uh, last thing if yeah. you've got just, just throw maybe save some of it for 68p on i'll give Friday you one I mean, we've talked give before about aaron Rodgers and danica patrick yes i like danica patrick it feels like it's getting kind of hot and heavy and i don't know if it's just forced or if it's legit i don't did you happen to see yeah. the super the lovey-dovey note yeah. oh. oh god happy uh, bur- okay this is from danica to aaron my sweetest man the sweetest guy in the world or happy something. birthday to my best friend my and best friend. favorite person in the world you are the one I want to tell my best and worst days to first. But here's where things get a little spiritual, followed by an L-bomb. I didn't know they were that serious. Yeah. I'm so grateful the universe made you. The stardust started it all, but you have done nothing but make it better every year of your life. There's more, but I seriously can't continue reading but you know, this. But you know what she didn't say? I don't. Which is what you never say to Aaron Rodgers. God, you're shorter than you look. <laughs> Did you ever see those six? We talked You've about You've told this, right? me that. I didn't know he was so back about and it. Wa- oh, go back and watch the 60 Minutes piece where they're shooting him in like a, a social setting as part of the B-roll. Yeah. And somebody comes up and tells him, God, you're not as tall as I thought. He like, okay, good. He like walked away, like wanted to punch the guy in the nose. Really? He's very sensitive about his size. <sighs> Now that I know very. that, if I ever run into him. <laughs> were you surprised to know he's 36, by the way? I guess he's been in the been league for a long time. 36? Yeah, he still looks good. Yeah. 
my last thing and my sensitive thing, my sensi poo thing. It's you know, it's a, it's episode sixty-eight. It's the Seahawks win to go to ten and two. We're all excited. We got nothing but excitement coming up in the next month. Four games to go. Oh. Three games before the 49ers rematch, if that means everything. But my sensey poo moment, did you see what happened in, in East Lansing, Michigan over the weekend? Maybe. I'm not sure. One of the – it was senior day, the last game of the year for seniors at Michigan State. Yeah. And one of the players named Josh Butler, who apparently lost his mom and dad in, his, in the last two years while playing at Michigan State. Both his mom and dad. One died of a heart attack and one died of cancer. When I read that, I, I didn't want to dig deeper because it was already sad enough. I thought yeah. maybe it was a car crash at the same time. No, cancer and It's almost and a heart worse that it's like these Just two. Just awful. Ugh. And you know what the tradition is on senior night. Sure, yeah. Or senior day. You come out with your parents. Yep. So each of the guys are coming out with it. And he does, not only does he not have either one of them, they both died in the last couple of years while he was at school. Uh, he asked if he could bring his dogs. I love it. And his dogs escorted him out. I love it. And it was great. I'm so glad they said yes. There was nothing, you know, just his dogs. He came out with his dogs, his two, his two pooches. That, that was right. pretty big on Twitter. I did see that. And it was, it was heartwarming. Was nice. I mean, you don't have to be a dog person to really appreciate that. It was really, really great. I'm, see you at uh, Taco Time? Well, before you go, oh. did, did we not name this podcast? No, we're not naming it. Oh, we're not. Do you have a 68 that you want to name it? Of course not. Do you? Well, Justin Britt comes to mind, but he's... he's that, that's it? I like little Joey Hunt. No, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do... I mean, we're, we're recording this late at night no, after right, Monday fine. night being at Daniel's. Trying to be Should a, we do... By the way, did you have fun at Daniel's? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Should we do it again? I'm in. Will you come again? I'm in for all of these. It was so great. It got loud. I think I set the record for most crab skewers eaten in one, <laughs> one sitting. And they had like crab on it. It was awesome. Yes, I'm in again. Those all-you-can-eat situations are like... It's rough. You don't even realize how much you're eating out there. <laughs> Me specifically. Specifically, just, or, no, or what just everybody, doesn't realize? Just everybody. They had popcorn <laughs> shrimp. I think I had 74. <laughs> <laughs> they, had, they had a little beef. Uh, it was uh, awesome. Yeah. By the way, you're 2-0 and on your on your Seahawk viewing parties at Daniel's. You're going to have to do another Lindsay one. wants us to do the Niners game. He wants to do it the Rams game this coming Sunday. Wants us to do the Super Bowl. Well, well we're going to do it all. Mitch's birthday. We had, cha- we had champagne. I felt oh, badly that we had cha- Did you have a glass of champagne or I, no? I did not because I knew I had to come work. I'm, I'm a company guy. Oh, that was know? that one glass that was sitting there at the end? That was the one, yes. But I, it's in I the car. Oh, you did? Okay, good. <laughs> Episode 68, Seahawks win, Seahawks win in the books.